0: Hi everyone, welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and virtual production. Next hour is usually something we wanna spend a little bit more time on. And today we've decided then we're going to spend more time talking about media and virtual production. <laughs> two two hours of Q and A. So, if you're watching, this is a great time to get your questions in early and uh, let us know uh, what you want to talk about here. We had a big show yesterday, so we're kind of in a little bit of a recovery mode. Um, but uh, we had a great time, and so if you've got any questions, uh, this is a good day to ask general questions um, in the slow time at the end of the year. All right, let's go ahead and jump into them. Uh, Mitch, what do we have?
1: First one in from Mark Steele in Orlando, Florida. And Mark asked, I have the opportunity to pick up either a PR40 or an EVRE20 microphone for 250 bucks. Both are in like-new condition. Which would the panel recommend? Would you be used for primarily for Zoom? By the way, great show yesterday. Really enjoyed it. That's great. Um, Mitchell? Uh, I hate to be smart about this, but i buy both of them at that price. That's an excellent price. But between the two... <laughs> I've, uh, I've used the RE-20 for years on the radio, and the difference between that and the PR-40 is the RE-20 has a great off-access, but it's not a good mic to get up close and talk and use the uh, uh, proximity effect on A PR-40 will, uh, will definitely do that for you. So if you want to have one of those sexy radio voices, the PR-40. Go, Bill. This is kind of a
2: flip a coin thing. They both sound fabulous for what they are. They both do the same job kind of in the same way. There are some subtle differences. And like everything, you know, you're trying to match a voice and a mic together. So it depends on which one reacts best to your voice. But I think of the two, if I you take away all the rest of that stuff, the EVRE20 has been around a lot longer than Bob Heil's mic now. He is a fabulous designer and his mics are great. Uh, but I just think the RE20 might have a little bit better resale value, but that's it's just such a coin flip hard hard call go
0: john
3: Two great mics however you need an interface that has enough power on the preamps in order to power both those microphones so be careful interface
0: i don't think i don't think the pr40 oh you need enough gain on the pr40 that's right PR 40 is dynamic so you don't need to power it but you do need to gain it up yeah go ahead javier
4: I will go to the RE20 as well, but uh, following with the idea that Mitch had, I would buy both if you can and uh, try them because if, with every voice is different with every microphone. I think the yeah, RE20 is a bit smoother and like uh, with most voices, uh, like especially talk voices can work better. But if you try with your voice and then resell the, the, the other one.
0: Yeah, the, um, the, I find the RE20 to be more forgiving. You know, like it, 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 you can move them back and forth a little bit more. So it, it doesn't have quite the same heavy-handed off-axis rejection that the PR40 has. So, you know, if you have a noisier environment, a lot of times you may want to think about a PR40 because it's going to, I think, it's going to pick up a little less. It, it does. The RE20 has off-axis, but not at the same level, and it doesn't fall off as fast. And so. You can move around a little bit more around it than than what you can do with a with a PR forty, in my opinion. So it, it really depends on your as as was said earlier, depends on what your voice likes or what what likes your voice, um, as well as how noisy your environment is. If I had a mo- noisier environment, I'd be I'd probably lean towards a PR forty. If I have a quiet environment, probably the RE twenty. Um, next
1: question from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona, and right here on our panel, there he is. So, how many points purchased devices did each of the panelists rack up on the 12 months of office hours by the remotes?
0: (laughs) Go ahead, Tom.
5: Well, I might as well fess up. I do not have the newer lighting, the vMix license, or the DeckLink duos. Well, yet. So, eight points.
0: Go ahead, Javier.
4: I only got two points, but because I already had some stuff like the micro recorder, I already had a mic. Uh, but the, the Mac Mini uh, is very be weird because when my, my wife heard the song, she was like, Oh, that's why you want to buy a Mac Mini. And you also <laughs> want to buy this other thing. And it's like a shopping oh. list. you know? like, Yes, it is.
0: <laughs> go ahead,
4: John.
3: I'm, I'm right there with Tom. I think I'm about the same.
0: Yeah, go ahead, Bill.
2: I only had two things on the entire list, and one of them I don't use. I don't use my Stream Deck daily, uh, so all I had was the Blackmagic 6K, and so I'm just failing miserably in terms of keeping up here. Go ahead, Mitchell. Just four. <laughs> I think I have most of them, except for I don't have the
1: VMIX license. I think I have everything else, I
0: think. Uh, they're not the newer lighting. I have different lighting than newer, but, but other, I have lights, I think. Um, next question.
1: Question coming in for me. Would it be possible... Just please please uh, if we could play the t- remotes 12 days of Christmas again and then maybe we could talk a little bit about how it got made uh,
0: not, not, let's not do it today but let's let's do a second hour on how it got made like, let's, let's just let's just save it for that uh, but it was a lot of fun you can go back and watch it from yesterday um, but uh, but let's um, go ahead and um, uh, work we'll work on a second hour where we talk about what, what happened there it was incredible work I didn't even see it coming I yeah, go ahead, Bill.
2: Yeah, so just two things that must be said. First, Dale Nebeda, um kind of ramrodded that whole project and did a magnificent job of it. The other thing is Brian Anderson uh, put that video together, and Brian just consistently amazes me as part of the band. How uh, multi-talented yeah, he is! So much fun. in this case, video editing as well as all the rest of the musical stuff. He does amazing.
0: Absolutely, and I definitely want to see if we can't get them on, and we'll, we'll 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 schedule a time for them to talk about a second hour, maybe next week. Um, next question, uh, Mitch, real quick.
1: I was just going to say, you know, with the holidays, maybe we can play it and then play it again and then play it again. you know how the no. holiday songs are? Okay. I'm not that way with
0: holidays. Okay, okay. So anyway, but, but I think it was great. And, um, and I, and I think I would love to break it, um, break it down. Yeah.
1: Um, next question. Guy Cochran, Seattle, USA with a question. The new Zoom Rooms 5.13 released into the wild. Can we allow folks to test functionality in the after-hours Zoom ISO test sources room? I'm fine
0: with that. I don't know what I don't know what we want to test there, but absolutely. I mean, we should be—that's what we should be using that for. So, um, yeah, definitely. And we'll probably talk. We might even have a meeting about it. But we should talk about uh, like one of our second hours or something about what we want to do next for that, because I'm ready to kind of record a new version of those. And so we want to think about what those should look like. Um, next
1: question. Andy Shaw in London, UK. Hi, and congrats on 1K. We've installed four Behringer XR32Rs, three of which have had to be returned for repair without power supply issues. Is it all Behringer or just X32R? Anyone else had similar problems, recommendations for similar that's more reliable? Thanks. Um, Power supplies are the
0: problem with the x32 and so it's a it's a behringer problem um we had one behringer that took a uh, an x32 that took a long time to fix that's the other problem with it right now is that if it goes bad the they're really there's some kind of supply chain issue so but that is the one weak point of the x32s and it seems to be you know it either works or you know it, it works or doesn't work pretty quickly out of the box um but getting it fixed takes a while go ahead bill
2: yeah, I think in modern manufacturing, I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over again, which is the component supplier who makes the power supply. And it's, you know, who knows what company that is. They order a batch, those that batch may be good, but then they reorder and for some reason there's a little anomaly. I've seen things where they go in waves and there's a problem with a component for a short period of time, then they fix the supply chain and it's no longer a problem. So it's just modern manufacturer. It's tough to, to do those, to make sure everything is exactly right always unless you've really got a great level of quality control.
1: Next question. TJ Asher, Minneapolis, Minnesota, asking, how much would everything listed in the 12-month song actually cost? Is this a new office hours monetary unit? Go ahead, Tom. Well, yeah. according to the uh, panel chat, it would be
5: $6,631. However, I take issue with that. Uh, on the 12th day, the Apple Keynote, I think it depends.
0: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. There's a a wash there. Uh, Next question.
1: Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, there are times when the panel gets stumped by a question. Happens to me sometimes with my questions. Is there any way the panel could have a lifeline where they could call out to an expert to get the answer or have a dedicated researcher? Yo, Jesse.
6: Um, similar to this topic, is there a, a location on the Discord where unanswered questions go to to find a second life? Uh,
3: yeah, go ahead, John. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually, Jesse. Um, with the ChatGPT three API coming, we should have an avatar for G- GPT if nobody answers, <laughs> and then the av- and- let's
2: and- ask
0: ChatGPT.
2: You like Go ahead, Bill. Well, you know, in the TV show, uh, the lifeline was something that it looked like it happened. Let's just call somebody and they'll be there. In real life, they had to arrange that call, set it up, edit it into the flow of the show and the rest of that. We are honestly, truly real time. I mean, there is no delay about this at all. And so it would be very difficult to have a group where uh, a, a circumstance where we had a direct link to the expert to answer it every day available for every show. Although that would be fabulous if we could. Are she
7: I think we have a really good lifeline. That's Mickey and uh, the rest of the people that hang out in the event chat that usually answer stuff for us. So I think if we utilize the event chat with other people that might know an answer to just to push the information across, that could be helpful.
0: Well, and and a lot of times we we are looking at that event chat, so it, it's definitely um, worth putting what you think your two cents are if you're watching the show and you're looking at event chat. The um, I, I think that uh, we this is probably more of a Sunday question for the question manager. <laughs> so so anyway, so we'll, just, we'll just talk about it on Sunday if you want to talk about more. Next question.
1: Coming to Bob Sturdivan from San Antonio, Texas. He asked me to do an accent there. Good morning. Have an ATEM Mini Pro ISO. Would not pass HDMI to Epson projector. Sorry, no model number. Did normal troubleshooting. Saw on-site there are problems doing this. Anyone found a workaround? Uh, I would try, if you can, if, if you could afford to
0: do it, I would get a decimator. So get a decimator um, HXM, MDHX. Um, and have HDMI in and out, um, and you may find that it just cleans it up, uh, you know. And we don't know exactly, you know. That's the I, I, that's the way to solve it. I can't tell you why it's happening, <laughs> so so I don't know exactly. It may be that the frame rate is not something that the Epson, the frame rate that you're putting out, may not be something the Epson can see. So um, that that that's a high probability of the Epson's got some kind of frame rate issue um, that's there. Another thing that you could potentially do is. Um, hook up a computer with an ED, EDID uh emulator and then let it see the pass through and lock it and then um so that the Epson so that the you you see a signal in the Epson something was connected to it and you lock that e- EDID then you plug the um the, the mini in and then into that into that little emulator and the mini should negotiate that correctly and give the e- Epson so that's the least expensive way to do it but it's always good if you're doing video production to have uh, at least one decimator in the <laughs> around in a bag because it always tells you like, oh, well, we'll just see how this goes because the decimator will see almost anything and it'll put out almost anything. And so it gives you kind of a little toolkit to kind of work through. Next question.
1: From Wayne Ma in Park City, Utah, I listened to your presentation on HDR a few days ago, but I didn't see anything on HDR 10+. plus. What is HDR 10+. plus?
0: Um, HDR 10 plus is a format, I believe, that was created by Samsung, and it mostly is because they don't want to pay for Dolby. Um, uh, <laughs> the HDR 10 is 10 plus is I don't want to pay for Dolby vision. So, um, even like that's just, they're just being cheap. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, the, it has most of the traits. So, so, the difference between HDR10, the difference between HLG and HDR10, there's a lot of differences, but one of the big differences is no metadata. It makes it easier to work with. HDR10 has metadata, and that has the max fall, max CLL, and, and red, green, blue trims, but only for the entire piece. So, the entire thing that goes out will have a thing saying everything you're about to see has this, this range, right? And then the, the Mac, the um, Dolby Vision does that that range, that max fall, uh, max fall, max CLL, and the the trims at every frame, really what you're looking for is every scene. So it can make adjustments to it. That was the advantage over HDR10, um, which does make a big difference. HDR10 plus gives that to HDR10. You know, basically you can, you you can now have this open format that has the ability to trim, you know, but the problem with that is, is that it is, uh, it's free and no one's managing it. And when it's free and no one's managing it, there's not a lot. There's not the same level of support across all the apps and hardware and everything else. And Dolby spends a lot of money and time, you know, making sure that Dolby Vision is is getting uh, adopted. And so you don't have anyone running with it. It might work because it's free, um, but the problem is, is that I think it's probably too far behind in the marketing where. I mean, everybody knows that what you buy, when you buy a TV now, I mean, almost everybody knows that you buy it. You make sure that it says Dolby Vision on it because you want to make sure that, that you're going to get that. There aren't, No one's looking for HDR10 and no one even understands what it is. So there's an ecosystem problem that HDR10 has, but it's very similar to Dolby Vision, but it also means that it probably won't progress as fast as Dolby Vision if, if they make any updates. You have things like Dolby Vision IQ, which is paying attention to the ambient uh, lighting within the room that this TV is sitting in, and then making adjustments to how things get work out, and so those kinds of handoffs and those kinds of interactions are not going to be available on HDR10 in HDR10, uh, other than Samsung TVs, I think. So I think that um, Samsung just is chafed by the whole, um, by the whole, the, the whole uh, uh, having to pay a licensing fee. That's the, that, that's
1: what HDR10 is about. Next question. From Bob Sturdivan, back again from deep in the heart of San Antonio, Texas, asking if you were to use ChatGPT to write a children's book, can you publish it? How do copyright rules and laws work with any of that? Go ahead, John.
3: It's a, it's a challenge because Chat ChatGPT is basically pulling information from a giant sample of of data, and so it could be a cop- copyright violation. This is this is ongoing work. If you watch any of San Altman's Videos on YouTube or Demis, the guy that's CEO of Deep uh, Deep Mind, they'll tell you that they're purposely and um, they're purposely rolling these things out slow because they didn't want to scare people in mass. The neo-Luddites, as I call them, <laughs> and so they're slowly rolling these features out, and then society will have to challenge these these questions moving forward. Yeah, okay, good, Bill.
2: And don't hold your breath. I mean, I'm just constantly astonished by how innovation and regulation are dancing and regulation continues to fall farther and farther and farther behind innovation. This is going to be a tough one. You know, you get these things and it's not, it doesn't follow the old forms of intellectual property regulation. It's happening too fast and it's happening uh, via computer too much. And so the regulatory system, which has its place, I mean, it, it's there to stop abuse but it's also, uh, I think a lot of people feel, and I'm one of them, that it's there to protect the larger entities and give them legal tools to keep people from stealing too much of their money or mm-hmm. grabbing too much, diverting too much. That's it, it, always going to be intention. You know, everybody should be able to use everything, but everybody should have the rights to their own work. And there's always going to be this dance. And boy, it's a mess right now. And I don't think it's going to get less messy as we move forward into this AI world. Good, Javier.
4: And actually, last week, a story surfaced of a guy that actually made a children's book with using chat GPT and MidJourney Journey for the illustrations. Uh, so, all, uh, as always, the first ones may get ahead or, or can be the one, the first ones to get their heads chopped off by the law. So, yeah. m- <laughs> he could be a millionaire by now, but he could get in jail in six months. So, we'll see.
0: <laughs> probably will get in jail, but might, might get fined or might just lose the co- not get the copyright. But you know what they say? They say that if you're one step ahead, you're a leader. And if you're two steps ahead, you're a you're
4: martyr.
1: You're a martyr. <laughs> Go ahead, Mitchell. You would probably uh, receive immediate response from the legal AI. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: the uh, you know it, it's really interesting. There's a lot of people, a lot of forums that I'm on that people are talking about this. I think this the the tricky the tricky thing is is that that it's not keeping those Im- images. It's not like I think people I think people who own the copyrights keep on telling themselves that somehow it's copying pasting parts of their their video, parts of their stills or images or words into it. It's not really doing that. It's building a model in which it's examining those and it's learning. To say that people can 't download your your to say you can 't download images or text from the internet that 's impossible because that 's what everybody does when you 're looking at something it, it doesn 't just sit in your browser it was downloaded to your computer to show it in your browser <laughs> so so you can't you can 't say that something can 't download it and basically what it 's doing is building models from those images and so it 's not it doesn 't need the images when it 's done so if you said okay can 't use the images anymore okay well fine it, it already built those images you know and and it, and um, so I think that it's going to be, I mean, I think that we're going to keep on going back and forth. I think that most likely you're not going to be able to stop AI from doing, you know, drawing pictures. Now, whether it has, the, the big question then is whether you can copyright what you're doing. Now, we may, what we may end up seeing is an explosion of non-copyrighted works. <laughs> you know, like, like the people just start putting out stuff that they can sell. Like I could sell a bunch of photos that or a bunch of images of, you know, Chewbacca as a robot um, in the style of Rembrandt you know i can i can now make this i can make this little plaque and i can sell it for 8 dollars and someone else if they want to sell it they can but it could lead to a massive devaluation of content in its in its own um you know because it's not so much that i think you know i think that's what people keep on thinking if someone's going to take their copyrighted work and sell it that might be the case but what's much more disruptive is the fact that anybody can make anything i mean i sat i you know we we sat in after hours Um, yesterday for almost an hour just sitting there people calling out things to throw into mid-journey and that produced an awful lot of uh fun you know and the question is is that you know you you can buy a a a book but you could also just get gpg to write a book and print it with all the things that you made and you give it to your kids as and there's no there's no buying of anything you know and that's the thing that people have to i think that artists have to worry about more is people being self-sufficient you know, and not needing to, not worrying about copyright and not, and just building the things that they need, to, that they want to build. And I think that we're going to see that gap close where I can think of something and it can, acc- and it can be built, whether it's in 2D or text or 3D or printed or, I mean, there's going to be a point where I can talk to my AI about what I want um as a like i have this i want to build this little stand for my a10 mini i'm going to be able to show it my a10 mini <laughs> like here's here like just take a camera and take a couple photos show my a10 mini to it and talk about the stand that i want and it keeps on showing me versions of that stand okay we'll move this over a little bit move that over a little bit and just and and then it will and then i say okay print that you know and it'll print that out and that's that's what's coming you know is the idea that someone without any creation skills can sit there and just talk about what they want and get it out there and there's no friction or or cost to them and that that's the thing that i think is far more disruptive than than uh, than what we're talking about right now because people are thinking in the in the box of the past of this is what we've done with copyright in the in the past and we have to also see whether copyright continues i don't think that they're going to be able to keep, keep on passing the copyright bill and then then the question is where you know that it's part of our whole problem is is our entire copyright world has been twisted inside out by a mouse so you know, so we we protect Mickey Mouse um, at all costs, and because of that, we've stopped using, we've stopped updating copyright. And the copyright was designed, patents were designed, so that it would be available for somebody to use for some period of time, and then it would move into the public domain, so that everyone could use it. And we've stopped doing that. And I think that I think that there's some point where we have to say this is crazy. And um, I think there's a reasonable amount of time to give people a copyright, but it doesn't have to be forever. Uh, go ahead, John.
3: I just wrote a child's book on, on chat, GPT-3, and then I asked it, is this copyrighted material? It, it says, this is what it says, as an AI, I do not hold the copyright to this material I generate. You are welcome to use the material I've provided, but please keep in mind that's provided for educational and informational purposes only. If you would like to use it for any other purposes, it's your responsibility to ensure that you have necessary rights and permissions.
0: There you go. <laughs> so, And again, I think that what's interesting is, is that this this structure that's coming out is i think going to be less about people using ai to sell things and more about people using ai to cuz remember we're going to get into like we haven't even started with music yet you know i want to hear i want to hear nirvana in the style of reggae i want to hear you know i want to i want a, give me a good you know bouncy beat you <laughs> know like you know and and then start saying well let's add some violins here and let's do some stuff here and it just starts putting that stuff together um, you know, and again, I I don't know if it if it has to be to something that becomes resale. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: Do you pay a premium when you loan your child a CD? There's a copyright there involved. Yeah, well, you I mean you own the CD, but I
0: mean it's yeah, sure. I mean, and and again, I think that the 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 number one thing is that a lot of us have been the the problem is no one's really gone into the fact that people have been downloading stuff from the internet for a long time, and if you don't go after someone at the beginning, it becomes harder to adjudicate. So next question
1: from Todd Perry and Prescott, Arizona, asking apologies. If this has been asked recently, do we have any more info on the Zoom double ended record rollout timeline soon? But
0: I don't, I don't have an I don't have a date. I, I think it's going to be I think it's some you know, sometime in 2023. <laughs> I don't have the exact date. Uh, and even if I did, I wouldn't give it to <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, um, the uh, I, I don't I don't I don't know what it is. Um, uh, but I think it's, I'm pretty excited about it. I think that it'll be really cool to see how it works when it works. Um, and I think we'll be probably on the front end of testing it because it's a, it, what's interesting, I did, I did find it interesting that we, I think a couple different services are now adding the double ended. So double ended went from, Hey, this would be really cool to it's, it's going to be table stakes by the end of next year is that if you're doing a social, like
1: whatever, everyone's going to have it. So it's, it's good that Zoom's staying ahead of it. Uh, next question. Eduardo Augustine from Panama asks, What is the best approach to have audio-friendly Fly Kit to collab with other mixers, external audio? My FlyKit has an ATEM Mini Extreme ISO plus Scarlett 2i2. The Scarlett is the interface to receive audio and send to ATEM.
0: Uh, I would probably split it from the Scarlet. So if the Scarlet has a line out. You can put it into you, you can put it into a splitter, just a passive splitter, and run it run it out from there. Um, but I, I think that uh, I would go from the Scarlet. I wouldn't probably do an output. I, I, and I will admit that I know very little about the audio for the ATEM because I don't use it at all. Like I, you know, the only thing I use in the ATEM is audio follows video. If I have some computer source and I want to actually combine that in, um, but I, I I don't I don't I wouldn't. I wouldn't try to pass things from one switcher to another. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I'm just curious, but I, I do run audio through my ATAM Extreme, but I do it via the uh, HDMI. Is there any degradation there? Because I find that the controls that are available via the Fairchild uh, uh, Fairlight e- EQ, Fairlight, excuse me. I keep saying Fairchild. That's old stuff. It's a chip. chip uh, is battery. it? Is it? Is it compromised in any way on the processing? If it's coming digital,
0: no, it shouldn't be compromised at all. Um, It's just the limitation of your preamp that's in your camera, which isn't very good. And um, and no no cameras have good preamps. I'm I'm not dissing mitchell's (laughs) mitchell's <laughs> preamp i'm just saying no cameras have good preamps um and so uh so it, you're limited to that but the signal will be digital it'll come in just the way it is go ahead javier.
1: yeah the uh just sorry just uh the yeah. preamp is an add-on to my camera in other words the one internal to the camera is el crapo uh but the add-on digital uh, handle
0: uh, is still, that still fits into the clean show
1: this crud thing.
0: i'm gonna throw you a yellow yellow card there i'm um, good javier
4: uh, you can also try using the Scarlett as a USB interface. It has two channels. If you're collaborating with other people, you can use two microphones and get directly uh, the USB audio and the ATEM just for the switching and just adjust maybe if you have some delay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. It's um, The other thing you could do is if you have two computers going into, if you have two computers um, that you're going to for these ATEMs, You could also use Dante between the two, but you'd probably want to, you know, just, and just pass them, you know, just send it from one computer to the other. It might be a little bit of a delay
1: there, though. Uh, Next question is. Paul um, Terry Wallace, unless I'm not allowed to read anywhere. Paul Terry Wallace (laughs) from Austin, (laughs) Texas. He asked, uh, yesterday I started a Canva team with Mitch Hill and Sarish Blondin. How are these teams used in education and what do you make of Canva docs? And the surprisingly good magic writer, which is Canvas answer to ChatGPT. Uh, Mitch, you were part of this. Do you have any opinions? I didn't know I was part of it. Sorry,
0: I can't no. answer. <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I, uh, we have. There's just not a lot of Canva users here, but we should. This is exactly what Paul was talking about earlier. We need to have ChatGPT, then we get ask ChatGPT about Canvas as magic writer, and ChatGPT would probably say. I don't know anything about Canvas because um, <laughs> it's been it hasn't been in the last two years. I, I don't know. We,
1: we, there's not a lot of Canvas users here. Uh, next question: Jack Cannon from Phoenix, Arizona, favorite mount for double stacking thirty-two inch monitors.
0: Um, so I have the ones that that I have would probably work that way. I have twenty-four inch monitors on them right now, and these are the Huanu Huanu'o, <laughs> like these uh, H H <laughs> U A N U O um and uh they're about eighty bucks on i have like four of them here three of them three of them here they're about eighty bucks um they're a little stiff you have to you have they have a they have a little um adjuster you know with a um, allen wrench that you can stiff, loosen them up and it works but it they're a little it takes a little bit to get there so you, you, you that's the that's kind of the low cost version that is pretty hefty and I'm sure this could probably handle a, a thirty two inch monitor um, and they're like two, and they're adjustable. You can just kind of move them around, um, or stick them up and over. So I, that's what I use. Um, I don't know if you could put a thirty-two inch on. Uh, the Amazon makes better ones; they're about two hundred fifty dollars. And I don't. They're 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 considerably better than the Juana's, but they're just more, you know three times more expensive. I, I've never tried to put a thirty-two on. M- my standard way of working is lots of twenty fours or twenty sevens. Um, so, I thirty two is kind of an uncomfortable um, uh, size for me just to manage. So, um, so anyway, uh, so so I think that uh, the Huano's if you and I like to have them to I like to be able to move them around, like just grab them. Um, the 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 nicer ones that I think can do thirty two inch are the monitors in motion. They have some really nice arms. <laughs> like these these start to turn into. Um, and then they finally the other ones that are really in the ex- expensive but really cool range um, are the uh, OC White, which also make this this I didn't realize they made uh, this is this is my mic st- my mic arm my underslung mic arm is OC White. It turns out OC White's a really big company that makes a lot of things. <laughs> this is just one little thing that they make. I went to their website. I was like, holy smokes! Like this is a massive massive machine gun. But they have some arms for uh, monitors as well, so i would check those out as well. Next question.
1: Next question from Paul Terry Wallace again in Austin, Texas. Our own office hours, James Haldane from Vancouver, has a kit with two Bird Dog P one twenties coupled with a Scarhoy controller using SDI, and he says they run hot. Fry an egg hot. Do all PTCs run hot and how does this setup rank for price performance? What about the P two forty?
0: Um Yeah, I don't, I don't you know, the the not everything runs hot. A lot of that has to do with, Heat dissipation turns out to be a pretty complex problem. you know one of the things that we had in you know like the, because you a lot of these chips are producing a lot of heat, and so sometimes when they're hot on the outside, that is by design. if they're a metal out exterior, they get hot because they're literally using the casing as a heat sink you know and so um so a lot of times that's why they are getting hot is because that was that's what they designed them to do, and they're they're it may seem odd but a lot of people have found that plastic was hard because it, it didn't, they had nowhere to put the heat. And so now, if it's metal and it's getting not enough plastic, it gets hot. I don't, it's probably just bad design. So, um, I, I don't know, I don't know enough about the bird dogs, um, as far as the price performance. Um, I think that, you know, for, for folks, for, for me, there's the Canon, uh, one inch sensor that's $5,000. And there is the, um, uh, well, there's the, the, the little, um, you know the little, the little one, the little tiny one, the the link from, uh, and then then the next one up for that in my in my world is the Canon. The, the next one up there is the FR seven, and after that a telemetrics. So those are the, the, the those are the steps that I think about. So I this one kind of falls in between those steps, and so I haven't
1: I haven't paid much attention to it. Um, next question, Talalik Lopez Waterman from Norfolk, Virginia. Do you think they could use Chat GPT for writing fortune cookies, Javier?
4: Yes, definitely. As soon as I saw the the question, I went to and tried it to what it would to spit out. Yeah, and the first one will be like the normal, like the philosophical one. Like uh, a new opportunity will sooner present itself. Seize it with both hands, or trust your intuition and listen to your inner wisdom. But then I switch it up a bit and put a funny. Cookie fortunes, and I got a stray cat will adopt you as its human servant, or you will discover a hidden talent for competitive eating. So, definitely say yes. Oh
6: my gosh, that's great.
0: Um, yeah, I need we need demented, demented fortune cookie. We, um, my my, we learned how to make fortune cookies when i was in high school um it was like in some class or something but but teaching teenage boys to make fortune cookies is a horrible idea um and what we would do is we would palm them and we'd go to we were a chinese restaurant and we'd drop our fortune cookies in to replace the ones that were there and the fortune cookies, you know, the fortune cookies would have all kinds of nice things, but the ones we left would be like, you'll die you'll die in a car crash in 30 minutes. <laughs> you, know, like, you know, like we would just put it
6: like, you know, like it would like
0: really, really to the point, and, uh, or, or they were, you know, we would add those and you get really fun reactions until, until people didn't think it was funny anymore. Anyway, so, um, but I think that if you were producing them, I think that's an incredible use for it. The other thing that I will know, I, that I would say is that, um, uh, that it does really good haiku. Like, it just, just has to do a haiku about anything, um, and it will create... Chat GPT will great, create... You could do a whole book of haikus
1: <laughs> just from Chat ChatGPT. Uh, next question. Robert Barrow in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. Alex, you mentioned you have... Uh, you make your own SDI cables, but you also mentioned that you will only use a particular termination for those cables. What are the details on those ends? Well, it depends on the cable... Um, so I can't give you the exact part number
0: because the cable it needs to be it needs to be adjusted for each cable, because um, I think I use a like twenty four gauge cable, which is really or twenty twenty two or twenty four. Um, I don't have it right in front of me, but um, it is uh, the Neutrik rear twist is what you're looking for, Neutrik rear twist, and uh, we'll we'll t- spend some time in the next couple of weeks. I'll get the stuff in one place and we'll make some cables, and you'll get to see what it, that actually
1: looks like. Uh, next question. John Folson, Ceilings Grove, Pennsylvania, wants to know, now that it's available, do I need to put the bird dog NDI play on my 12 days of Christmas list?
0: You know, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, this is the, and is this a, a, a playback system? I mean, and, and I have to admit that you're, a, um, I have to, we'll have to search for it. I, you know, we don't, there's not a lot of us that are using the, a lot of the bird dog Um, systems, it does look pretty cool. So this is a, it is an NDI player. So this is designed to play out. I think that a lot of us would probably end up using some kind of software for it. If we were using NDI, we'd probably use software on a computer to do the play out. But um, it's pretty interesting that this has something where it can just cast NDI as a player anywhere. Um, And I guess what I would be, yeah, it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, it looks pretty interesting as far as having something that you can just kind of throw in there. I think that they're slowly building a pretty good ecosystem. So we're excited about what Bird Dog does. We just it just hasn't fit into a lot of our pipelines, um, and I think you should look for one guys up here. But I think that the Bird Dog play looks really cool, and I think that having kind of self contained players is is a pretty powerful thing. Next question:
1: Wayne Ma and Park City, Utah, asking. So if HDR ten HDR ten plus, i.e. Samsung, isn't as good as Dolby Vision, then what brand would a consumer buy that isn't OLED? Now uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Um, there's a lot of new stuff coming out that's replacing OLED uh, that can probably hit that kind of dynamic range. Uh, the micro LED, and I think uh, Sony has thing called crystal LEDs that are pretty pretty amazing what they can do. I think LG, LG also has um, both OLED
0: and non-OLED monitors. Um, I will say that if you're willing to care for the OLED monitor, the new ones, the older ones really had a lot of... Issues with aging, issues with burn in, et cetera. And, um, uh, I, I would highly recommend thinking about getting an OLED. The main thing is you just can't watch MSNBC or, or, or CNN or anything. You can't leave those things on all day and expect that monitor to survive. So, um, but, you know, like it's, so, you know, you, you get really sensitive. I will admit, when you have an OLED, you get super sensitive about, um, People putting things on the the TV that stay (laughs) there—it's really like you're like, why are they doing that to my TV? So, and I think that'll continue to be an issue. Like, I don't really watch TV, so I don't—I mean, I don't watch regular TV, so I don't really—I'm not that conscious to it. Uh, Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: You know, you could publish a list of shows you can't watch or channels you can't watch because you started. And I was like thinking, wait a minute, I watch CNN or I watch MSNBC, so that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be good. It would be good to put that filter into like
1: YouTube TV or whatever. Yeah. Just. Get
0: rid of all the channels that are going to ruin my, ruin my TV. The TV there should be a TV
1: OLED setting on your on your uh, thing. Yeah, next question. Next question in from John Fultz in Ceilings Grove, Pennsylvania. What's the best starter camera for a college student getting into video production? Go ahead, Javier.
4: I would go with the good cell phone camera, maybe an iPhone thirteen, maybe or twelve, uh, especially because you are just starting in video production and camera choice is just one of the of the first steps but you have to learn a lot of things like editing and different stuff or maybe like planning and producing and it depends on where are you what are you wanting to learn so you already have an iphone or a cell phone that has a good camera shoot and and try different things and know about camera blocking and camera movements and different stuff and then you will then you 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 take the, the what camera to use into account and if you're studying photography, is different. But if you're starting video production, like as a general, I will start with what you already have. Go ahead, Mitchell.
1: I think Aviar is uh, correct. But I would also go to something like um, a Sony ZV-E10 or uh, Z1 because you want to start learning about lenses and white balancing and all the other things that go with uh, shooting with a camera, uh, whether it's a mirrorless camera or even up into the uh, professional cameras that eventually you'll be using. And go ahead, Jesse.
6: If you want to get them something with a lot of options, I would go with something in the Sony Alpha series. And if they're really directing towards um, towards cinematic production, the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema cameras are great starters. But you need so many accessories to get those off the ground. Right, go ahead, Bill.
2: I'm going to take a slightly different tack. Uh, so if I was back starting over again, the camera doesn't matter that much. But there are some things that I would want to learn about. Manual controls, particularly exposure, focus. Uh, I actually think having a zoom lens with a smooth rocker control is a useful learning tool because you're going to determine, you're going to start to learn uh, rates of creep and pull and Uh, Without that smooth control, the downside to all these cage rigged things is you have to put a bunch of tinker toy controls on them to be able to get a smooth zoom in and out. And that already exists on even inexpensive camcorders. Um, You want good audio, no AGC or defeatable AGC if it's on there, Uh, external audio via XLRs would be preferred so that you can experiment with bringing in both wireless and external audio sources, Uh, get the best tripod you can to start out. And if you get those things or as many of those things as you can do so you can learn about the aspects of controllable video, then just go for it. The single thing you want to do is just make video as much as you can. Those would be my priorities if I was starting over. Go, ahead. Jesse. Uh,
6: to piggyback off of what Bill said, um, uh, still, a still film camera can teach you a lot about what you need to know for video production. I learned more from my Pentax K1000 than any digital camera I've owned since then.
0: I had a K1000. That was my first camera too. <laughs> That's a great camera. Um, the uh, I would say that for the most part, you could just use a phone. Like you, you know, you could just use a phone. Uh, maybe get a, uh, uh, you know, the the new Apple. You know, the the four, 13, 14, even the 12. Um, these are just incredible cameras. You know, and and I think that you should really look at that. If you're going to start spending money, I would go ahead and spend it on something like a pocket 6K, uh, and I would get the 6K instead of the 4K, so you have shorter depth of field and um, you have the regular Canon mount. Um, and uh and then think about, you know, again, you just have to figure out how far you want to go. But I think that the thing about the 6K is what, while there is some, you, I don't really buy that much gag for it, but you do want to get a cage, um, you know, get a small rig cage for it that you, that is, is, is kind of a nice accessory to keep it safe. Um, you know, a 24 to 70 zoom is is kind of nice just to have. That's a good solid all around lens. Um, for that, um, there's a, you know, there's a less expensive one for about 700 or $800 made by somebody, Sam or something, you know, <laughs> but then there's the L series, but you don't need the L series probably to get started. The, um the, uh, you do want it to be like a 2.8 so they they can get a short depth of field. The nice thing about getting something like a, a, um the, the, the black magic camera is that it's going to shoot in raw and you can start learning how to, that um, your college student can then start to understand the process of bringing RAW in, color correcting it, outputting it, and they don't have to. They can just set it to, I want Apple ProRes with a video LUT and I'm done. You know, and they can do that. But if they wanna really learn and they really wanna shoot a higher end piece that's a lot more scalable, um, if it's recording some kind of RAW format. And I don't think that the Sony, the smaller Sonys do that. I think that they're they're in a much more compressed format. So there's a lot less to, to work with there. Um, the 6Ks are, I mean, I have a lot of them and they're amazing. You know, like it's probably the, the most amazing camera under $2,000 dollars I've ever, I've ever owned. Um, I've owned a lot of them. <laughs> so it's just, it just it has so much scale, and there's so much you can do with it. So, and the
1: interface is actually nice. I, I, the, yeah, uh, next question.: Andy Kokendorfer from Vieira, Florida asks, "Have you considered a better archive than YouTube?" We use Panopto, and it can word search many thousands of hours within seconds, then deliver links to timestamps within videos. We should look at it. And, and if someone's listening, put
0: it in the second hour suggestions. I'd love to have Panopto on. I'm, I'm not against it. It's mostly just a matter of time, cost, effort. You know, all those things are, are things on our end uh, that we'd have to look at. But I'm definitely open to taking a look at what those are as we go into the future. Um, next question.
1: Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois. For those who use USB webcams, such as the Insta360, how do you integrate USB with the A10 Mini HDMI for camera switching? Go ahead, Mitchell. We were just showing one. In fact, Guy had out the Atomos Zato uh, Connect, which is an amazing uh, device with a monitor built in. It has a touch screen and the ability to switch between two inputs, and then it has HDMI out. So you could uh, take that as your uh, intermediate device between your 360 and your uh, ATEM. Yeah, the big disadvantage of of doing
0: anything in between is that you're not gonna have the controls that you have with the, the. What really makes the link sing and makes it so stand out Is actually being able to control it with the software, and so if you can't control it with the software, I'm not sure. I mean, it's it's still a good chip, but it's not. It's it's a it's a little bit of a a bummer. So uh, so I think that there's not a lot of good ways. I think what we're hoping we're going to see is um, that we you know we're hoping at some point that we see a uh, a, a another version one step up from there that has an HDMI out. Um, And that lets us control it through the USB-C and still has
1: HDMI out. um, So, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Next question. Ash from New York City. What kind of TV would the office hours crowd buy for use in a bright living room, OLED or QNED? Any specific recommended models? Uh, Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I have uh, no problem with my OLED in my living room, and I do have a window right next to it, Um, but the Sony 90J, which I'm using, um, has this X1 processor, which uh, adjusts the lighting behind each uh, part of the uh, screen, depending upon what the image is. Apparently, it has a database that uh, knows that this is a mailbox in front of a background and it uh, applies uh, a certain lighting to it. But to be honest with you, things are moving on in terms of technology, and those micro LEDs are to be kind of uh, good ones to deal with. I'm not sure if the QNED is in that category.
0: Yeah, I mean the ones that we've used in the past have been mostly in the CX, the LG CX range. Um, you know, for for a lot of these, and it's a little bit more expensive. Uh, the the thing that I always recommend for bright rooms is um, shades, lots of them. <laughs> so like like if you if you really want to join, if you really want to enjoy your TV, figure out a way that you're gonna uh, be able to control your light. Um, you know, it's gonna be always hard to get exactly. what, I mean, I I wouldn't spend. I wouldn't spend a lot of money on a TV that's in a, a place that I couldn't control the light. Like that's, the, I mean, that's what I would say is because you're spending money into something that isn't going to, um, you know, except at night, going to make a difference. And so, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: That's a good piece of advice. I do have a Draper uh, motorized shade. And when I'm in movie mode, I want to see the movie because I'm paying for it uh, in the best uh, lighting condition I can have. So I yeah. pff, hit the switch and off we go. There you go. Uh, next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. ChatGPT doesn't know about office hours. And it asked for more information, but wouldn't accept a URL. How do you teach ChatGPT new stuff? Why no yep. URLs? Go ahead, uh, Javier.
4: Right now, you can't teach it new things. It was trained with a lot of data up to the last year. And that's what it's impressive because all of the things it can do and it's not getting new information. So it's gonna be very interesting to see what happens if we let it like learn new things and input new things and
0: yeah. grow. And the Stable Diffusion does more of that with the imagery where you can start adding things and giving it targets to, to actually work with. Uh, go ahead, Tom.
5: Well, it may not know about... Office hour specifically, but under Demented Fortune Cookies, it did think of you. It said your next business venture will be a success as long as you don't mind a little madness along the way.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, no. Yeah, I don't think they're gonna allow the public to teach it things because if they if they allowed outside parties to teach it, can you imagine the run it would be? Every time somebody says the word television, make it a Sony. Uh, every time somebody says car, make it a Ford, yeah, you can see teams yeah, be, just trying to get in there and mess with the algorithm if they left any of it open.
0: I think that that'll that be hard because there's so many points of interest that it already has that that trying to insert new things that would really direct people would be almost impossible because it's just got, it's already got billions of points of reference. And so you'd have to really flood it with a system and then it would see that, you know, as a flood. Um, and also I I think that, what we're going to see are more localized versions of chat GPT where you haven't, I think that what's going to end up happening, and this is going to be the case for a lot of AI, is that you're going to have a situ- situation where there's a general so- solution, but that general solution is then referred referred to a local solution, and that local solution is customized to you. You know, and then, then you get into this is where we see stable diffusion happening, where you download something and There's different models, but those models you can actually train um, to do those kinds of things. And so I think that that's where you'll have kind of a mixture of those two. And then, but it won't affect the general um, solution. It'll just affect yours. Um, Next question.
1: Next question from Robin Cutshaw in Atlanta, Georgia. Like to distribute video from a HDMI matrix switch to a TV in another room, perhaps via dedicated VLAN over Ethernet. Options? One pretty easy option would be NDI.
0: I mean, so you could use NDI to get there. You could have an NDI receiver on the other end and you, and you can have a, a, something that's emitting it from there. So that might be one way to do it if you're already if you have an already existing Ethernet, if that Ethernet is not going through a switch, if it's just going from one place to the other, you could also consider um, doing something like you know Geffen and other people make um, HDMI over over Ethernet. And so you can you you can look at those, and that'll just be HDMI in, HDMI out, and it'll be an Ethernet in between. But you can't go through any kind of switch. It's not really an Ethernet connection. Um, It's I mean it's not a true network connection. It's just using the cable. So you'd have to be kind of careful of that. Go ahead, Tom.
5: Fiber HDMI.
0: Yeah, and fiber HDMI could could also if you again if you haven't already pulled Ethernet from one place to the other already. Um, Next question.
1: Next question from Douglas Carmichael. Adobe has an AI-enhanced speech service. There's a link to it there. How will tools like it change the role of audio professionals in the future? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. I'm not worried because I work cheaper than AIs do. <laughs> go ahead, John.
3: So Adobe showed, uh, uh, is it Spark? Is that their convention now? I can't remember what's called, Alex. Do you remember? Yeah, Shasta. I don't remember what it is. But yeah, Shasta. Shasta. They showed they no sh- no, but they showed off at Spark deep fakes like six seven years ago, and then they had to retract because it caused such a stir in the industry. Yeah, that they said no no, we're we're just showing technology out. We're not deploying these yet. So so there's there's a tidal wave coming of of
0: unrest. Yeah, Bill.
2: I agree with that 100%. You know, I used to say, and I've said here on the show a number of times, it's never been easier to get from zero to 50% in quality. And it's always been just as hard to get from 50 anywhere approaching perfect in creative work or in work that's technological based. I do think that may be shifting. It may be easier and easier to get to 70%. I've seen some algorithms that do a good job of repetitive tasks that do it almost as well as a, a person who understands the craft and has good ears can do. So, I think it's going to continue to evolve, and it's just something we're going to have to deal with in the future. You have to bring something other than that 70% to the table if you want to excel in your industry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Javier.
4: Sorry, uh, just while thinking about it, uh, the... I think that a lot of the important things in audio engineer, as in any other production thing is taste, not only about knowing how to do things, but deciding what tools to do and how to do it and be subtle about it. Uh, it's like when you we, we you you see movies that, uh, especially from the mid 90s to the 2000s, where computer graphics started uh, to get to kicking in, and you, you could do a lot of things that in the moment seemed impressive. But when you look at them in hindsight, they're like taste tasteless and it's like like bad CGI. And I think the same is gonna happen with AI. We're, maybe for 2024 or 2025, you're gonna be like, oh, this sounds good. But in 2030, you're gonna be like, what were we thinking, you No, know? so.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think that that, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that the problem really is, is that it, it can get good, like it can do, it can take bad to good. Like I think that AI is gonna take bad to good really, really quickly. But how do you get to that last little bit? of quality and i don't i think that that's going to be it is going to be difficult um to to close that gap because uh, it's just you know garbage in garbage out to some degree i mean i have a lot of really great plugins for you know from Isotope and everything else but very rarely can i just add them and expect them to work <laughs> you know, like, you know there's still uh, a lot of again taste in, in trying to figure those things out and even that um, is still a learning process for me
1: uh next question from Harshi Trevetti in Daytona Beach, Florida, what is mainly gained from getting a 5K monitor? Contrast or more so for color? Uh, go ahead, John.
3: I have a 5K iMac Pro, and then I've got the LG Companion on on next to it, and they're super bright. And on my Mac Mini, I have the LG 5K next to a Samsung 4K, and it looks dingy and dark. So the brightness of the of both of the 5Ks are astounding. Here you go, Tom.
5: You also get a full 4K window, plus extra room for menus.
1: Next question. Burkhard Friedrich from uh, Eistenberg, Germany, wants to know, what are your recommendations to get the stop buying things loop from yesterday's office hours remote out of my head? (laughs) Go ahead, Javier.
4: If you listen carefully, the twelfth month says keep buying things so it's just a matter of powering through the other 11
1: months <laughs> yeah exactly go ahead mitchell i think a while back uh, jeffrey powers was the one that said uh, if you sing the uh buy menon shingle that'll knock yeah. it right out of your head i hey, go ahead, bill two words electroshock therapy is your only hope
0: <laughs> <laughs> and a reminder we're doing a second hour of um of just open q a's today so uh, so if you've got more questions go ahead and throw them in um, next question
1: from Douglas Carmichael, how much of a performance per- increase is the 32-core GPU over the 24-core GPU in the M1 Max? My primary workflows will be audio-related, but I also see myself streaming my work via Mimo Live and editing in Resolve.
0: Um, you know, I think that the, I mean, I think the 32 is, is going to make a difference for a lot of the stuff you're doing. So I think that, that those extra eight cores would, would be
1: worth um, getting if you can. Uh, Next question. Next question from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. What tech helps you sleep and helps you track your sleep? I go to Javier
4: uh to get to sleep i use guided meditations the apple fitness has a lot of guided meditations that i really like and for tracking i've been using an app called sleep cycle for the last i'm not sure like 10 years maybe uh, that keeps track of how you're sleeping and gives you some stats and everything and since the last year that apple released the whole sleep in the apple watch i'm using like both uh, so it gives you i mean i mean i don't try to get as uh into the oh i only got 70 percent. i must be tired because if you think you're tired you're gonna get tired but it helps you like knowing like okay so from two to four a.m it's where i get most of my deep sleep so i if i get to bed bef- after two i'm not gonna have deep sleep like my normal rate so those are the both things that i use good though
2: I will say that Apple Watches are now doing sleep tracking. If you charge them properly and and give them enough so that you can wear them overnight, uh, it'll give you some good feedback on there. Interestingly enough for me, um, the same thing that helps keep me interested when I'm exercising, which for me is audio books and listening to novels, that same thing will put me totally to sleep if I use them late at night. If I hear a calm, consistent voice that is really good at reading, it really lulls me to sleep. And I can't tell you, I've, I've changed from 20 minutes you know, and then auto shut off down to about five minutes and auto shut up, put a book on, and it clunks me out every time. So
0: weird. I get up really early, early. And I don't drink coffee after two. <laughs> and, and I find that my, my, uh, my, my wife often comments on my nearly supernatural ability to lay down and be asleep in two minutes. So um, uh, I get pretty agitated if I'm awake for more than 10. Um, next question.
1: Ronnie Hofsoy from Tromso, Norway, asks, is it possible to control the Insta360 link with Companion, Isadora, or similar? Go ahead, Tom.
5: With the latest firmware update, the Insta360 link does have a lot of hotkeys. So I would say yes.
0: So there's a so there's a ton of it, it, they the new update added a lot of hotkeys of control. I haven't I haven't updated my, mm-hmm. my Insta360. Yep. So I think that they really good at, update. What I will say is that the so you could have some of those updates. And when when did that update come out, Tom? Was that recent? Last mm, couple of days? About a week
2: ago. Week?
0: Yeah. And in the past, what we've seen with Insta360, part of what makes me excited about it is, is that they uh, build AP, you know APIs for all their other cameras um, are pretty opened. And so I think that the link will probably end up having a lot of
1: hooks um, down the road. I think this is probably a step towards that. Uh, next question. Next question in from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. Mitchell, how do you feed your Sony camera in terms of cabling? There are two ports, and they're both of this mini-USB type and are right next to each other. Is there an integrated cable? Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, There is not an integrated cable. I'm talking about the FX3, which I have up here. And actually, the two ports are a mini-HDMI and a micro-USB. And uh, for the HDMI, I use something like this, uh, the TILTA version. Um, It's an adapter. So you have the mini Going to the adapter, and the adapter takes the uh, the the weight of the HDMI cable, so you're not constantly yanking on a small uh, cable. And then for the USB, um, a right angle micro USB works really well because that again it just is much more secure in terms of a uh, a connection because it has the actual cable housing uh, to take up some of the slack. Good, Bill.
2: Yeah, I was going to say I I searched one uh, once upon a time for right angle mini USB. And interestingly enough, it came in like five flavors and you can buy a pack of all of them, which says that it's an L um, one way, it's an L the other way, and it's an L uh, out and in. They, you can buy a pack of four, which will change that direction any way you need, depending on how you want to uh, set up things. So you can find those little adapters online. Next question.
1: Next question is for me, and the question is, this ad featuring Daniel Craig for Belvedere Vodka ends with a fourth wall crash. How do you feel about breaking this rule? Go ahead, Mitchell. Uh, what it, it's it's an interesting spot, and I'll just briefly tell you what it is. Uh, it's Daniel dancing to music, and he's got some dance moves. But at the very end of it, they just crash through the brick, uh through the fourth wall and back out, and they show the whole crew, all the equipment, and all the people involved, plus uh, my favorite director uh, uh, Tiger Watiti uh, doing his uh, little uh, direction. And uh, that's part of the commercial. So in that particular instance, it's kind of nice to see the behind the scenes and all the people it takes to uh, to pull these things off. It is a fourth wall break because Daniel does acknowledge a camera at that point. Go, Jesse.
6: Uh, watch it again. The fourth wall break isn't at the end of the video. Oh, there oh, oh, we go.
1: An
0: Easter uh, egg. Yeah, I haven't, I, haven't, uh, I haven't been able to watch the whole thing. I skipped through it. And I just skipped to the end. and Wow, that's good so uh it looks like it's really well shot and it should be a lot of fun so i i think it's great i love breaking the fourth wall like i love i love movies that that, that break fourth walls and so um uh, you know when they're talking straight to you I, I i think it's just a great great way to
1: to put things together uh next question next question for douglas carmichael what does the panel think of the MetaQuest pro versus the quest 2 well,
0: it's got more power it's got more power, you can do things. I don't know what apps are really taking full advantage of the Pro as opposed to the Quest 2. Um, So I, you know, and I have only, I have the Quest 2, I don't have the Quest Pro. Um, I've kind of decided to just wait it out for a little while. I think that for me, the VR world is a little stagnant at the moment. And um, so I'm waiting to see what Apple does. I'm waiting to kind of see what happens next year. I don't feel like I've seen anything recently that has been enough. And again, I was in the immersive world when it first started and spent a couple of years really developing a lot of content for it but i don't i don't find a lot of things that are that compelling right now and so i I think i've just decided to take a break (laughs) so like i just i don't know what you know I, i put them on every once in a while to see what's going on but it's it's uh i feel like we're we're in kind of they they haven't really built that killer thing for a while go ahead jesse
6: I think one of the biggest things the, the lowest ceiling for VR for me is that um with any interactive engagement, you have to be sitting on like a moving platform. They have to simulate your movement in association with something else. Do you think we're ever gonna see that get cured, that that limited mobility in VR?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely things that that can be done, you know, for that. There there have been things built where you have and you saw like fictional versions of it in Ready Player One but there are definitely things out there that let you run in different directions that that have already been created it's another device that you sit there and you kind of run and move around in fact i have a feeling that i was watching something uh recently and i i realized that at some point when we get into motion capture the hard part is going to be a lot of folks that were really excited about vr now have to be in really good shape you know to to compete <laughs> because they're going to have to do they they're, they're going to do the things that their characters doing rather than pushing little keys So there's a, there's going to be a point where you go, oh, I can, I can do a, uh, a first person shooter more effectively in a motion capture suit than hitting a keyboard. You know, like that's, there's going to be some moment where people realize that and then they're going to start doing that. But then the next thing is they're going to start getting tired before you know it, you're going to have people working out so that they're virtual, they can play the virtual stuff better than um, others, you know, as it gets competitive. So I think that it's going to be That's going to be interesting. And I do think that, I mean, I think the VR is going to be big. I just don't know when. And I, I feel like the developments that I've seen recently, I put them on every once in a while. And again, I'm pretty sensitive to it because I don't want to buy lenses. I think that's the big thing is I don't want to replace the lenses every single time with my Quest and I I wear glasses. And I find that they, the fact that they don't have a diopter is really frustrating you know, like it's just, it, it really took a lot of fun out of it for me. <laughs> I destroyed a pair of glasses, putting wearing them underneath my, my thing. And so that's, I think that the lack of a diopter is pretty p- devastating because there's such a huge percentage of, of nerds and geeks that wear glasses. Like <laughs> if you look at this panel. <laughs> so, so anyway, so um, uh, that that I think that that's a problem. And I think that they haven't paid atten- enough attention to that problem. Um, next question.
1: Paul Terry Wallace, Austin, Texas, discuss workforce VR, AR, XR, extended reality. For example, uh, according to a link that he's uh, uh, used here, companies using AR have reported a 46% reduction in time to complete tasks and average productivity improvements of 32%, according to IBM. Got Harshid?
7: Uh, Yesterday, I was looking through Sony's website, and they have a product that they're working on called XR Catch, and it was related to vision impairment. But what it did, it took haptics, and it gave you the proponent of actually playing catch. And they went when I was reading the article, it stated where they thought of should we get a glove? Should we get you know these? extensive devices or is it more of the feeling and so with vr and xr or at this point we could just call it xr because it's some are augmented uh, reality uh, tidbits whereas some are virtual reality tidbits and to mix all the bits together we do get a bite and it's going to depend on how people present it right it's just like any old presentation if we present it with a uh, a good understanding of how to use a product from start to finish then it's going to expand into the market Uh, we've had a lot of people getting into the 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 so-called workspace where microsoft had their uh, product google has google glass but yes some are using it in their workspaces but they're so particular maybe it's only silicon valley maybe it's only new york so I think introduction to a product and then ease of use from start to finish is always going to keep that sustaining uh, product go further, and especially in the XR space. Yeah.
0: I think without more context, those those numbers 32 percent, and forty six percent don't mean anything. I think that's the pro- the real problem is, is that I don't I don't know. I'd I, have to I'd have to see a lot of context for, to understand how that would be there. And you can manipulate any, any kind of testing to get a, a, a number relative to what you're trying to do. So I, I don't really think that, I don't really know what that means. But but what I will say is that I think that we are going to get to a point where we use AR a lot more, um, you know, and, and we're going to, you know, I, I'm, I'm buying a, I have to get a new, um, uh, whatever, you, under my under my TV, my TV's not sitting on it, but it needs to sit underneath it, like a shelving unit that sits underneath the the, the thing I went to Amazon and it said, literally, if I was on my phone, I didn't see it on the desktop, but if I was on my phone, it said, would you like to see this in your in your living room? And I was like, yeah, sure. I hit it and it just popped out and it snapped to the wall. <laughs> like, like it just went whoop and it, and it just, and it was in scale and I could look at it. It was grabbing some lighting and I could see what it looked like. Um, and it made me far more likely to buy that one than buy one without that visualization. And that's where we're gonna start to see those things. And I also, I will say that, you know, there are, there are definitely companies working on this. I mean, Amazon's doing a lot of the stuff that they're doing, Home Depot, I, Ikea. You can imagine being able to have your manuals become something that it shows you what you're gonna do next and you literally pick it up and just show you what, what's in front of me and, and little arrows go grab this next, grab this next, grab this next, that's all coming. You know, we're not that far away, a year or two away from starting to see that roll out. And again, for us as media developers, that is a, that's a whole new world of opportunity. You know, as building all that stuff out, we started playing with those ideas twenty years ago, not in, in Pixel Core. Um, so, you know, we could see it coming, but it's almost here. Um, next
1: question. Next question, Quentin. Uh, question coming in from Douglas Carmichael. Do you think we'll see a significant performance improvement with the forthcoming M2 Max Ultra versus the M1? Good, Bill. I'm not sure. I, it depends on what you consider by significant.
2: Yes, it is going to be faster, but I've noticed this trend coming up, which is. Um, things, meaningful speed improvement versus not meaningful. And what I mean by that, you know, when I was starting out and I had to render out a video, it might take a half an hour and then a new chip or a new card or something came in and it lowered it to 10 minutes. And that was a significant improvement in productivity for me. Now in the current era, sometimes revving a computer for me will get me a render that goes from nine seconds to three seconds. And I'm asking myself. Is the cost of that really worth it in terms of the productivity value I get back? And I'm hearing things like they just announced yesterday that the new Mac Pros that they're designing They've actually cut off, I think, if this rumor is correct, the high, high end. And I think it's because the cost of incremental improvement in processing didn't give them enough to feel like the market wanted to spend the extra money to go at the very top. And I think we're already saturating what a lot of people's tasks need in terms of these off the shelf computers. So I'm wondering if it's going to slow down a little. There'll always be a top end who needs that super, super, super production. But how many people? are unsatisfied with the machines they can afford to get right now and use. And I think it's a lot. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Yes.
0: <laughs> you know, I think I think that it's, you know, it, it will be a significant improvement for some operations. And I think that that's what, you know, the things that, and especially things that are, that what what's really happening is a lot of developers are finding that if they really customize their code to take full advantage of the M-series computers, that they're seeing massive increases in quality, so and 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 speed and production um, pr- productivity, but they have to really write to it. What isn't working is I'm going to kind of write something for the Mac and kind of write something for the PC. That's not really working very well. I mean, it, it works okay. It's incremental, but the the companies that are really focusing on it, we're going to ru- we're going to suck all the marrow out of these chips, are getting just incredible returns. So I think it's more about educating the, you know, and, and making sure that those libraries are available than it is about the chip at, at this point, because we're not fully utilizing most of the M1 M series chips a, as they are. Um, but I definitely have apps that are bringing my Mac. I have a Macs. I didn't get the ultra, but I have the M1, Mac, uh, studio and I'm bringing it to its, I'm crunching it every day. <laughs> like, like, like it's, I could use more power and it's a lot faster than my, my last computers, but I could definitely, Uh, afford to have more power Um, in it. I I have to admit that if I I knew that the Mac, I bought a Max because I thought that the Pro would come out this fall and I wanted to save money, I I think that um, I would have bought the Ultra if I had known that we were going to get delayed. Um, Next question.
1: From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, Paul asks, with all the advances in AI and going to a whole higher level, what's keeping dumbed down Amazon, A device, Google Home, Facebook portal, and others from stepping up their game? Javier.
4: I think there's a couple of things. The first one for me is I I think it's, uh, this very different written language than spoken language, especially because when you throw different, uh, written, like you write the, the same question different, the AI is going to give you different answers. So that's, I think the first one, although that's going to be solved uh, rather quickly. The, the second one is the, the uh, opening. Well, right now the AI are trained with a subset of information. So it's like when you go to Jeopardy, they're going to just ask you about this category there's not gonna open-ended the question is gonna be like from this stuff and like new stuff or like uh, your own like we ask a lot of these this, um, assistants like to help you with your stuff with your contact, your calendar your email so it has to learn all the time and the third one I think is perception because right now chat GPT is being used by a subset of people that we are very like future looking and computer trusting if that, that's a word uh, and the other products are mass Market, so you have to be very careful. I mean, the brands, I think they're very careful because people are. It's easier for people to understand a dumb Siri, elect or whatever, than a super intelligent one. So, if it started doing like things that are freaking things, freaking people, like ChatGPT is doing, but inside your house, I think that's not a good look for the companies. Yeah, go Jesse.
6: Yeah, Amazon, Google, and Facebook are. Um the AI is a is a small component in a much larger portfolio of products and services that they offer, and they're trying to get into everybody's house all the time. And there's just like a a, a different amount of room for error when it comes to experimentation. When you look at something like Chat, Chat GPT, the the company is more perceived as a like a young, scrappy startup. So there's it's just a broader margin for error, it, and AI has a, a like a, an implicit need for margin for error when you're implementing it. Go ahead, Bill.
2: I'm also thinking that sometimes we we looked at this from the point of view of technologists who understand this technology and always want to be up at the bleeding edge. And I think there's a huge swath of the market out there that they don't understand and they don't want to keep up with it and they're not playing the game. I use as an example the fact that uh, my wife and I bought a Facebook portal for a Uh, A shirt tail relative of ours who we knew did a lot of Zoom work and we thought, "Well, we'll send this to them. They'll be able to bump up their Zoom calls to 720p and just by having the portal and things like that. Well, a year later, they still haven't hooked it up and they're still on their laptop doing things, even though they are in business. And even though I can completely understand it could have improved their presentation, They never got it in their head that they should take the time to learn this technology to improve it because it just didn't matter that much to them. So I always have to step back and remember that not everybody is like all of us here on the panel that are absolutely invested in understanding this stuff and using it in our daily lives
0: yeah it's funny on the opposite side of that i gave my parents a, a very early on the alexa you know the, the the little screen alexa that for their for their um thing just just because i thought that they it would they'd enjoy it it sat in a box for a year um just because they didn't know what to do with it there one of my nieces uh opened it up of course and had it working in about um about four or five minutes and like then had it all set up and now my parents use it every day, <laughs> so, so like the, all day, like they just, they're constantly calling things out and asking things and everything else. So it, it is that startup, you know, what th- I think that that's something that, um, you know, as far as usage goes, I do agree with what was been said before that all, these companies are all capable of a lot more, but if it says the wrong thing, they're going to be held accountable. And so they, you know, I think the chat GPT says the wrong thing all the time. Like it says really impressive things and they sound really good uh but but it's 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 often inaccurate and if alexa or google or apple were as inaccurate as chat gpt people would be up in arms and there'd be like congressional hearings and there'd be conspiracy theories and you know everything else it would be it'd be like, so that's the chat gpt gets a lot of room for error uh but putting it into something that is mission critical is a is an issue yeah go ahead john
3: real real quick yeah let it was locked so um don't forget Microsoft invested 1 billion dollars in OpenAI right. and Google and Google owns DeepMind and so they're they're playing they're here they're playing the game
0: uh, the, the there's been mentions from Google folks that said we can do everything that OpenAI can do we're just not doing it cuz it scares everybody <laughs> and all the stuff they're letting them take all the arrows. you know like they're sitting there like, well, like let let let's let these little companies because the problem with the big companies is they're too big of a target these are big lawsuits you know and so so they I think they're just they're just watching and letting Open A, a you know OpenAI and Stable Diffusion and all these other things kind of clear the field for them, and then they can then they're going to move in. But yeah, these there are big, big. I mean, they've been working on this for a long time, and with lots and lots of money. <laughs> so so um hundred you know, there's been whatever has been invested in OpenAI, but there's also been you know billions and billions and billions spent in each company, not aggregate, but each company working on this. And so uh, Open OpenAI still, you know, startups can always move faster than big companies. And so they're still, it has that advantage, but I think they're letting them clear
1: the field. Next question. Bob Sturtevan in Sanitone, Texas. Anyone with experience using Insta360 cameras with Matterport software? If so, how do you rate the quality of the product? I've looked at some of the examples on the website uh, and it
0: looks pretty impressive. I don't know how it would work as well as it looks like it's working inside of that platform. So it'd be really interesting to do more testing with it. Um, Basically what the matter, Insta360, we, we talk about the link a lot, but what they're really known for are 360 cameras, you know, with lenses, with cameras on both sides and it gets a 360 image. And Matterport used to have hardware, you know, hardware that you used, and it had like a little um, inexpensive LiDAR that it would do, and it would create a 3D scene, as well as a walkthrough, that very quick walkthrough of a location, which is really cool. Um, And I used to own one and paid for the service or whatever, because I, we used it for previous, you know, for, but one thing that Matterport got good at was that they stopped um, just trying to build their own hardware. In fact, I don't even know if they still do build their own hardware. Maybe they do, but they, and they moved upward by partnering with Leica to do the link, the BLK360 fits into that. So that it goes up and they've gone downward to phones and Insta, you know, and um, these Insta360 cameras. What I will say is the the imagery on the, that, that's on their website with the Insta360s looks really impressive. Like you could totally do it that way and it would be so much faster, you know, because you, you're capturing the whole image in one in one take. So if it's actually working that way and that's actually effective, it's pretty impressive. Um, so
1: we'll have to maybe we'll try to do some tests in the future. Uh, next question. From Douglas Carmichael on the Ed Sheeran Mathematics Tour, Ed's front of house console is a Digico's st seven with a quantum engine, and the support act is mixed on an Allen and Heath D Live. Considering both companies are in the same audio tonics group, what can the S D seven do that the D seven can't? I go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I'm just going to speculate. I have not had personal experience with either of these boards, but I can make uh, this observation. Uh, If they're under the same company, its chances are they're sharing a lot of uh, technology for both of them, but you can be sure that the Digico has got better parts and probably faster processors. So the advantage, I I say, goes to the Digico because it's a a much bigger and much more expensive board. Yeah, go ahead, uh, Bill.
2: I'm going to guess there's just two different front of house engineers, one of them being incredibly familiar with uh, console A and the other being incredibly familiar with console B. They want to work with what they're used to working with. So I think it's the talent expressing themselves and getting the hardware that they are the most comfortable with to do the job that they have to do.
0: It could be. I think I think I actually think it's more likely cost mu you know <laughs> cost and size. The D Live I believe is a bit smaller than the Digico, and um and it's uh and it's also costs a lot less money. And so I think that they might be making a, a decision about hey we don't need to have two Digicos or we they might even have two Digicos because they're have a primary backup or something available. So but I I think it's probably and what happens is I, I don't know enough about Audio Tonics, but what often happens is is that from a brand perspective. They do, as, as Mitchell was saying, break up. We're going to put the less expensive things over here and the more expensive things over there. And they do that so that they can keep those brands separate. And um, they just, because you can't build every, every, every console with the best stuff of everything. You have to think about cost and making it
1: available to a wider group. Uh, next question. From Vincent Alvarez in Bellingham, Washington, bought the wonderfully priced Behringer Bigfoot all-in-one USB studio condenser microphone, planning to use it in my office for Zoom meetings. How do I address it down the tube, talk past it, and which setting? Uh, we did play with
0: it. I have it. Um, I'm actually sitting in the room right now, but uh, I did buy it to test it, and it, and I think that it's it's a lot better than you know a lot of mics that are in that price range. Um, so I think that it's it's pretty pretty cool. Um, the uh, I would, you can, you want to talk across almost every mic, <laughs> you're talking into a mic ends up with lots of plosives. So you'll see that I'm, I'm here with this mic. It's a little hard to see with the shirt, but I'm talking across it, not into it. Um, so that I don't get plosives. Um, and then I would probably still end up using, there is a one that is a, it looks kind of like, uh, um, like this and that's your, that's your, um, uh, that's going to be your your cardioidish kind of thing and that's probably the one that is the it's going to going to have the most off axis rejection and you want to talk across that one to to make that work the one that looks like um i think that there's one that looks like this like two circles there we found that that actually sounds better, but only in, I, I'm gonna guess, it's only gonna be an environment that is really quiet. You know, I, have, I, have, I am literally in a tent of blankets. <laughs> so mine, mine is, is pretty forgiving. But I think that if you were in a regular room, you would have, you'd have a hard, a hard time making that actually work. Um, so, because so, it's, it's basically using both ends. So anyway, that's, that's what we'd probably take a look at. But hopefully, uh, we'll be looking forward to you re- jumping on into after hours and possibly office hours and showing
1: us in, in action. Next question. Ian Alford in London, UK. I'm using a Blackmagic 4K and the picture looks washed out and lacking definition. Any tips? Uh, go ahead, Jesse.
6: It sounds like you have the lookup tables turned off. That's the first thing I would check.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So what what's happening there is that you don't have a, a LUT or a lookup table is what Jesse was referring to. Um, a LUT, the LUTs are, I'm gonna convert from one color space to another. And so, and, and when you think about a lut, it's not that complicated. If you think about, you know, uh, if you're in Photoshop and you have a curve, you know, that's usually for one channel. And if you made a curve for every channel, you would need three dimensions because you have red, green, and blue. And that LUT is simply, the LUT is just that curve, but it's applied to a cube. That's why they call it a cube, literally a dot cube file. And so where you have, and I don't know which one is which, but you have basically red, green, and blue, all those curves are being calculated at the same time, you know, for these points. And so that, um, and then it can have a certain number of points. But anyway, so what happens is, is log, the log that comes in is coming in at a certain, um, and it needs to be changed. You need to you know you know push you know pull it and push it to get it to a look that you're looking for. If you're doing seven rec seven hundred nine, there's lots of LUTs out there, and you can create LUTs and you can work on them. I would highly recommend. uh, We're going to talk more about LUTs next year, um, but I would recommend looking at playing with your own. The good news is, if you're a Blackmagic four K, what came with it is Resolve, (laughs) so you can you can just for free uh, put it into Resolve and build build the look that you want. So what you do is you go into the color page in Resolve. And you get it to look just the way you want it. And there's lots of tutorials on how to do this. And we can jump into after hours and talk about it. But you can get it to look just the way you want it to look. And then you can select that uh, if you if you right click on the uh, um, if you right click on that you can actually export a LUT. You know, so you can export it out and then literally load it back into the camera, and so that that is a, a way for you to create your own look. Uh, how, but you can download a lot of them. The easiest way to do this is that on the last page of the um of the of the Blackmagic 4K, there is a LUT. And what you're probably not doing is having something set to t- it's probably to film film to f- it's probably just film or no LUT. You you can set it to video or extended video. I'd recommend just going to go ahead with extended video. You can always add contrast a little bit later. And then um, just make sure that your monitor out and your record are set that, but don't do it to both. If you set it to record, don't set it to monitor out being the LUT because you'll get a double LUT. It'll actually apply that LUT twice and it'll look really new, clear. <laughs> Next question.
1: Mike Edwards from Brooklyn, New York. Morning, guys. Is it possible to use an all-Mac workflow utilizing two separate Macs, using a Mac running SPX graphics into another using Memo Live? What would you recommend if not as a better flow? Uh, I think you could. I think if you're using
0: SPX, you'll end up using the web uh, interface for, for that. Um, so you, you, could, you would have to use the web output for SPX. You can use Casper. What we do for this show, all the lower thirds here that you see are all SPX. We're using Casper, which is a, a more a more native app that is running on a PC, um, and that is and it's doing key fill out from from there. So that's that's how we uh, create that there. But you should be able to do it um, with the the web output there. Yeah, absolutely. To memo. Uh, next
1: question. Tony Mobley in Noon in Georgia asks: I am asking for a basic M1 Mac Mini for Christmas from family to add to my setup. Does Panel have a suggestion to use case, i.e., Zoom Rooms, etc.? I go ahead, Jesse.
6: Uh, you're looking at an M1 Mac mini right now. I use it for a lot of uh, forward facing communications for our company. Just uh, before you buy it, make sure you're aware of how much hard drive space and RAM you need because you're locked in. Right. <laughs> um,
0: uh, yeah, as much RAM as you can get. Um, yeah, so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the big thing is the Mac minis just give you a lot more flexibility. So you're, you're going to have better IO. Um, you know, and a lot more speed if you don't have a Mac
1: Mini yet. Go ahead, Mitchell. It's not a big ass to go from thirty-two gigabytes to sixty-four. I think it's like fifty dollars difference. If it's fifty dollars, it's worth it. Otherwise, I I think Tony will have a
0: hard time using sixty-four with with the utilization of how he's using this right now. Sixty-four gigs is a lot, and you if you're not doing really large data sets, you're probably not going to need it. But if it's fifty bucks, it's worth it. If it's more than fifty bucks, probably not worth it. Um, next question.
1: Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asked, I listen to a lot of books on audio. For example, Green Lights, Work the System. But some literary friends of mine say it doesn't count as reading. Should I care? Javier. Javier.
4: No, you should not care. Uh, I mean, at least, uh, it's it, reading is reading and getting the information. Uh, I, I really enjoy audiobooks as well, especially the unabridged Bridget ones. I started listening and that's basically like someone reading the book to you. But, uh, as the time has passed, I also use, uh, services like Blinkist that has like this 15 minute, um, Guy like like Craig, I'm sorry, like uh, Cliff Notes, but uh, in audio. So it, it's uh, 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 for me, it's about getting the content and understanding. And sometimes you read the let's say read the audiobook or listen to the audiobook, and you want to have the physical book or the digital book or whatever, and you want to have the like the written part. Or sometimes you just get the information and enjoy the story or whatever. So don't don't listen to them.
2: <laughs> Go ahead, Bill. Not just no, heck no. No one should tell you what you should enjoy, ever. And particularly in terms of consuming creative work from somebody. Uh, you know, the written word on a page, beautiful. It's been a huge part of my life. And I nothing I like more than diving into a book. But... When I'm using audiobooks, there's nothing more enjoyable to be in that moment than being free from having to see it. I can do it while I'm exercising. Uh, I get the added benefit of a hopefully great performance by a quality reader who can act out the parts and bring something to it that maybe was not the same as was in my head. And I enjoy all of those parts of it. So no, no one should ever tell you how you consume uh, creative work ever actually been a, I'm
0: now over 30 years. I mean, I started with audiobooks when they were cassettes, <laughs> you know, like they were cassettes and I put them in there and I listened to them while I was driving. Um, and uh, I am pretty specific about it. I, I, I have reference materials. Reference is something that I buy in books. So cooking books, um, you know, other materials that are things that I'm going to look at. I'm going to refer, I'm going to jump non-linearly. That's the problem with audiobooks, is jumping non-linearly is, hard. So, um, so I either get Kindle or I get a book. I usually get all Kindle cause I don't, I, I have my entire library in my iPad. So I love the fact that I can just open something up and, and look at it. My cookbooks, I don't like getting my iMac, my iPads, um, covered with stuff. So my cookbooks are the only thing that I have that are, um, uh, that are physical and I have a growing collection of cookbooks, mostly modern cuisinists, but a lot of other, other things that are there. Um, that I, that I use. Um, and so, but reference is what I use for text um, and then nonfiction for audiobooks for me. And then fiction is movies. <laughs> like, I don't want to re- I don't want to listen to the nonfiction uh, fiction because it might turn into a movie and then it'll ruin it for me. So I, so I, I just want to watch the movies <laughs> do the thing. I like fiction to be more condensed because uh, I don't have a lot of time. Um, next question.
1: Douglas Carmichael asking, in this behind-the-scenes video from Ed Sheeran Mathematics Tour, they showed a custom on-screen user interface for Ed's Looper pedals. I do recognize Ableton on the screens, but how would you build a custom user interface for Ableton? And you have stumped us because there's
0: no Ableton Live heavy users here. so uh, let's we'll see if we can have an Ableton maybe a second hour or something in the not too distant future and we can try to figure it out. I know folks like Todd Reynolds, if you see him on on in the after hours, would we'll, we'll probably know that answer. Next question.
1: Ronnie Offsey from Trumso, Norway, asking, what type of mobile measurement test meter or tool is absolutely indispensable during a remote production, like digital multimeter, cable tester, or similar? Um, There is a, uh, I'm
0: just trying to think of if I have one here. Uh, There's there's an audio box that we use very frequently, and I'm just, oh, here it is. I I, I knew I had it. Um, i don 't know how long this will be this way with da- with Dante, but this q box <laughs> this is a whirlwind makes this q box, and I have had this i don 't know how long it it can um, it 's a it 's a mic and line tester, and I have used it on and off for trying to figure out if something 's working It can generate signals. You can also plug stuff into it and listen to it it has a it has a little speaker that 'll play out so you can just literally plug an XLR into here and it just um you know so so the um this has been super useful another thing that we we tend to use are kilowatts a uh, kilowatt is a um little plug it just tells you how many what's going through it and plugging something into your system to understand what that is looks is better meter, multimeter, multimedia multimeters are also you know very good to have as far as testing things specifically um in larger events, we have a uh, voltage med- measurement. These are things that go ar- you literally put it around the cable and it'll tell you what's passing through it. and so that's that can also be especially with higher voltage um, and more complex um, measurements uh, can be very useful um, and then those are those are hardware tools the The things that we use the most uh, of anything are video and audio scopes. And so, um, you know, so I use, I still use Spectre on some of our, <laughs> our machines, but otherwise we use, um, there's a uh, Sonic Atom um, is the is the other one that we use. And it is a, uh, it's an audio scope tool. And then, of course, Nob OmniScope is the other one that we use for video. Go ahead, Bill.
2: And it continues to migrate. I still use all those traditional tools as well, but I'm finding more and more that the things that are migrating onto mobile Uh, the mobile platform, you can get external samplers that will take and throw scopes on your phone, uh, Mm. audio multimeters, even the internal microphones are getting better in those platforms. Uh, And so we're not all the way there. You can't completely replace all the traditional tools at this point, in my opinion, with just a phone running software, but we're seeing it get better and better over the course of time as the cameras and the audio inputs in the phone get better. And I think eventually that's going to end up being our multi-tool
1: of choice in the field. Next question. From Harshid Trevetti in Daytona Beach, Florida, here on our panel, it's December. What can we do to improve the movement, glass to the house for fiber? Go ahead, Mitchell. Um, I had an interesting conversation with the Comcast Business Associate, called me uh, promoting direct fiber to uh, my business. I have a business account. And uh, we're going to do an interesting conversation about last mile, which is a big deal, when, especially when you're using fiber, because you don't necessarily have fiber just because you have it. It might be that it's just the last mile. It might be cable from a uh, fiber uh, point of presence. So the, uh, the overall uh, discussion came around the pricing and uh, the pricing for a resident Uh, residential use of the fiber in the last mile means you're sharing that bandwidth with other people uh, in that particular point of presence. The difference with the business side is that you are not sharing it. And there's a huge difference in price because I was complaining. I paid $250 uh, a month for uh, regular cable, uh, 300 down, uh, 30 up. And uh, he said, well, you can probably get close to matching that with fiber, but you'll do much better with a residential connection.
0: Yeah. So the, you know, we we need we have two years before the next election, and we need to think about how we frame this and how we get it out to the right people to have them start thinking about it as being a plank on different parties. You know, to really think about it's it's one of those things that, you know, framed well. Um, you know, so far they haven't been in. You know, it might not be something that the parties do because they're so paid by the telecommunications company. They're so well paid. There's so much that, that is being funded for their their campaigns by the telecommunications company because of what they desperately don't want is what we're talking about here. Um, and uh, but I think that I think at this point, you know, uh, utilities should probably become I mean, cable should become a utility and it should be fiber and it should be fiber at every house. And we should charge the folks in the city a little bit more and 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 make sure that it, it, it basically covers it to go out into all the areas. And it's not something we haven't done before. <laughs> we have we have power, we have running water, we have telephones. All of those things were run to everybody's house and everybody had to share a little bit of it. And we should be thinking about that. And um, and we should think about how we push it forward either through the standard political structure or on the outside by creating a hot griddle that they have to stand on.
1: Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, you know, we, uh, we as users or buyers um, are in a pretty good position right now because here's what's going on is there's a battle uh, between all the uh, the ISPs out there to get that fiber into their homes, and the value of having you as a subscriber exceeds the cost of the uh, the charge that they're charging you, so they're liable to give you a greater deal just so they know that you are the guy that picked uh, for that particular fiber for that for your home. Yeah,
0: I know that um, when, when we uh, when we called, well, I, I was kind of amazed when we called. Um, comcast and said we're thinking about canceling comcast how quickly they made a deal the other thing to know is that you can oftentimes make deals pretty quickly when you um uh which is interesting because and then we i got this thing that says that frontier told us that they're coming that's what happened is i'm sure that comcast so what happens is is that comcast uh, had to give poll access to probably frontier and then front and then they know a year or two out that that the internet's coming and then they try to make deals with everybody to lock it lock it down um I just got a little thing somewhere from Frontier that says they're coming. Now, here's the worst part. I'm not going to switch from Comcast to Frontier. I'm just going to get both. (laughs) So I was like, now I have two different providers because Comcast drops out about uh, three or four times a year. And usually in the most inconvenient times. Um, Yeah. Next question.
1: Next question in from Tom Ferguson in Phoenix, Arizona. On your mark, get set, go. Are we almost ready to change the world with our office hours influencers hitting up companies for change? Yeah, yeah, I, we're a
0: little behind on it, but I, you know, a, a lot of it had to do with, um, we were gonna make some requests from Zoom and Blackmagic on, on, that was gonna be our first little push, but I've been trying to research exactly what we wanna ask for. So so that, like, uh, you know, you don't wanna ask for something that isn't gonna happen. Um, so we're kind of looking at that, that movement. And, um, but we are going to start, uh, I probably won't be, no one's going to see it if we do it right now. But as we come out of the beginning of the year, I think we should start thinking about those. And those can be something we brainstorm maybe on things that we want to change. And then as a group, the, the, the interesting thing here is I also want to think about the rollout. Like if everybody gets exactly the same worded thing, then it might not be as, um, uh, it might not be as effective. So I've been thinking about it a little bit. We, we should brainstorm in this in after hours. We'll, we'll think of a time where we can brainstorm it. But I think that uh, we can definitely get people's attention. Not many people even on a large company, will you see two or 300 people ask for the same thing? So uh, we can definitely at least get a discussions going in different companies about things that we think would help the industry move forward. And I think that that's a really useful thing for us to do if we if if, if used responsibly. <laughs> so, but I think that we as content creators that are really working on this and thinking about it, um, we're the right people to ask for what we want. And if we ask for it all at one time, uh, we have a much better chance of getting it. Next question.
1: Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York, asking, I've been looking in uh, and can't quite figure this info, but what states have the most rural fiber connections? Yeah, go ahead, Bill.
2: I don't know if it's true or not, but it should be the flat states in the middle of the country only because it is so much easier to string fiber cable through those than it is. I was surprised. I lived most of my life in Phoenix, which is a very flat valley with just a couple of uh, things you have to work around when you're talking about stringing wires. And here in San Diego, we are a whole series of hills and valleys. And I look at the infrastructure it takes to get signal lines and everything else and how uh, it is so much more engineering and tunneling and digging to move from this neighborhood to that neighborhood here than it is where I originally grew up, and so I think geography has something to do so i 'm not i'm i 'm surprised that the the more flat uh plain states haven 't really outstripped everybody else
0: i don't know whether i, I think that the other thing is is how much fiber per head you know there's some some that may i i actually I read something that alluded to the fact that Maryland had the most fiber, it, uh, Maryland or Virginia, and um, those two have an enormous number of government agencies that are using their systems, and so as a result, there was more um, more core content that was. So Maryland and Virginia, I've heard, are the are the two big ones um, as far as fiber goes, and then as far as pure mileage, uh, California. Um, I think has the, has the highest, but it's the density is, is different. Um, but I think that California is just a bigger state with a lot of people. Um, so I think that those are the, the, the big leaders that, from what I've, and I read that in some study, but I can't remember which one. Next question.
1: Chris Widener, Lafayette, Indiana, asking, We're considering doing a retro gaming tournament as a fundraiser for shooting cabinets and pinball machines. What gotchas should we look out for? I'm worried about reflections, obviously, but are scan lines likely to be an issue? i go ahead, Jesse?
6: The biggest gotcha I'd be looking out for is refresh rates, and if you're at a normal, modern, retro arcade, you're going to be having every type of refresh rate. You'll have tungsten, fluorescent, and LED bulbs depending on the cabinet. You're also dealing with cathode ray tubes if you're working with retro machines, and uh, like LCD panels if there are also modern rebuilds of retro machines. And I would just go in there early and often with the cameras that you're actually going to be shooting on and just stress test so much and see what uh, shutter angle or, uh, you're, you're going to need to work with. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's no one single shutter angle that can handle all the different refresh rates that you're walking into. You go, Bill.
2: What Jesse said when I used to shoot a lot of this kind of content back in when that was actually a thing, uh, the Sony cameras that came out of the era had a function called clear scan when you can literally dial in sub, uh, you know, 38.57 megahertz for a scan for your camera. And we were constantly Hertz trying to make megahertz. sure that the scan rate of the screen we were shooting, mostly cathode ray tubes, as you will be finding on these uh, historic video games, we'd, we'd find uh, the right scan rate to sync with it. Without that, it was virtually impossible. So I agree hundred percent with Jesse test, test, test ahead of time. I really,
0: I, I was, I, for a long time, I played pinball with my daughter. We'd go to the, there was a, there was a pinball, um, space that would happen to be near the farmer's market that I went to and we went and it went, it went under during COVID, but it, but the, um, I always wanted to put cameras in the pinball machines. <laughs> Like, I just think that would be a lot of fun is to get little spy cameras and put them in there so you can cut to like the, the ball coming right at you, um, the type of thing. I think that there's definitely places I, I, I thought about it every time I played while I was watching my daughter play. And I, and I was like, you know, you could put one, a camera there and never get hit. Like it would, you know, like there's, there's places definitely in the pinball machine that are not reachable by the ball. And, um, and so I think that that would be a lot of fun. Next question.
1: Lenny Nelson in San Antonio, Texas, does listening to podcasts, presentations, and audiobooks at 1.5 times speed all the time do something to our brains? I take a moment to formulate a thought, and I wonder if I slow feel slow because I consume media this way. Good, Javier.
4: I think you become impatient with slow moving media. It doesn't happen to me in real life. I mean, if people talk slowly, I don't have problems, but with slowly moving like recorded things. It's very hard for me. I tend to, to listen. If I want to learn something, I try to go uh, 1.5 or even above. If I know the subject, I'll go to 2x and only like uh, like rewind if I miss something. Only for fiction, I'll, like performance, like audiobooks, I try to keep it between 1 and 125 because you, I think you start losing the performance, like the nuances if you go uh, faster. But for com- in getting information, 1.5 is a blessing.
2: Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Bill. I'm right there with Javier. I tend to be a 1.2 guy for novels and books that I know the author is exceptional with language because I want the rhythm of the way they wrote those sentences to come through for me the way it was intended uh, when I get past that it all starts to become a blur now if I'm consuming information that's that's a totally different thing but I don't want somebody to speed read me poetry that's not the the right way to do things in my mind
0: yeah the um, uh, I listen at 1.5 for everything, because I don't listen to fiction on, on audio. So I listen to 1.5 up to 2.5, and it really just depends on the person that's that's speaking, um, you know, as far as that goes. I find that, here's the funny thing is, I find that listening to the, to a digital text-to-speech, I can listen to it faster than a human. The humans um, slur too much sometimes, or they have, per, you know, peculiarities in their voice that make it hard for me to understand what they're saying. But I can consistently, if I open up the Kindle app, and I set it to 2x, I could consistently listen at 2x, and it's just, it's how the words are enunciated. I actually find it much easier to listen to a book at speed um, because I don't have so many, you know, I I tend to be easily distracted. I don't have so many other thoughts going in my head between the words. So the problem when it goes slow is that I think about six other things by the time it gets to the next sentence. And when it's going fast, I just absorb it, and I listen to it, and I... And I I do a I listen to the Economist um, books, the Economist, um, Foreign Affairs, a couple other you know, and then I have V Voice V A V O A. Anyway, so it's it's not Voice of America, but it's a it's a collection of all these ones. I learned about it because, of course, Foreign, affi- foreign Affairs uses it as part of their services, or they have some kind of cross trading, which was very effective. Because then I went and subscribed to this other thing as well. Um, but I listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of stuff that way. Um, but I listen to it definitely at speed. I can't listen to it at anywhere close to one X. Like I go back to one X and it literally just feels like everything's moving in slow motion and it's super painful actually for me to listen to. And I and I admit though, in person I tend to hang out and talk to people that talk fast. <laughs> like if you talk slow, I'm like, oh, it's really slow. Like it takes a long time to get there, um, and I, I, you have to really, I have to really like somebody to, have to, to be in a long conversation with them when they're talking slow. Because I just, I'm like, okay, I gotta go, I gotta, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, with Mitchell.
1: I'd love to do a second hour on this, but it only might take a half an hour to do it.
0: <laughs> we'll do, do a whole second hour. I will say, this gets back into um, the whole power this is what uh, the speed is one of the main reasons that i talk about the fact that no one should ever lecture live again online like ever like ever never 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 ever ever give people the content we're going to do some conferences this year we're going to do our own little conferences they'll start small but they might get bigger all the presentations will be released at least a week before the conference and they will all so what we were going to tell you is all going to be part of hey here's a bunch of files that you can listen to then we do Q and A. you know, and and we'll give you a summary of what we had talked about in that area. But the advantage of speed of speed control—you can't do that in the real world. You can't do it in a live presentation. And I just, when I watch people do live presentations now, I just like my, I just, I literally have a narcoleptic reaction to people giving me um, a live presentation of data, um, and it's because it's not moving fast enough for me. And for folks who are fast. You can speed it up. And for folks who need to hear something again, they can repeat it. And you can't do that with a live presentation. And so what you're bringing up, Lenny, is the number one reason why no one
1: should present that. Um, uh, Next question. Next question from Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas. No one left out? How will we engage all the time zones where office hours is buzzing 24-7, like a bustling town hall? Good. Bill.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to me because uh, now that we're kind of heading into that 24-hour thing, when I first had friends in Australia and things like that, and they were coming into meetings that I was involved with, I started to realize, wait a second, it's late night for me, and it's the first thing in the morning for you, and there are going to be times when I try to reach out to you, and it's going to be in the middle of the night, and it's you know I have to watch that. That's why I have three different time zone clocks on the wall so I can keep track of everybody's reality. I think it's going to be great because visiting a different time zone in uh, office hours will be like visiting a little bit of a different community. You'll see different people there. Uh, some of the group will be sleeping. Some of them will be actively engaged in things. I think it's going to be fun. I mean, and if you're, you have insomnia for a particular night, you have people to talk to. It's great.
1: Next question. Next question in from Stefan Fischer in Würzburg, Germany. I walked down the buy that list and stopped at the Wacom tablet. The current 16-inch model is around €1,600 Euro here in Germany. Are there more cost-effective solutions? Uh, go ahead, uh, Jesse.
6: I wonder if you've looked at the iPad Pro. I don't know what your needs are exactly, but you might be able to simulate a lot of what a Wacom does on an iPad. And, uh might be a bit more expensive, but you get a free iPad with it. Uh, yeah go ahead tom
5: well the answer is there is a wacom one creative it's called tablet out on uh, amazon.de here you go it's 292 euro um
0: yeah the, the one is the way to go the wacom one that's what i'm using here is the is the wacom one and it's only it's much less expensive i have some I have some of the other ones. I actually like the Wacom one better because it's just simpler to use um, it. The connections are better than the older Intuos or the uh, Cintiqs. Um, so I prefer the, the Wacom one and it's, a, yeah, again, a third of the cost. So I would definitely look at that for, if you're doing Telestration, if you really want high, high end Wacom tablets, then then you wanna, then, then you're gonna wanna use the, the Cintiq. It's got better
1: sensitivity and better resolution. Next question. From Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, Paul asks, follow on to Ronnie from Norway's question, what is the best way to test all types of batteries and USB chargers and cables? Uh, Those
0: are all different. I mean, I have to admit that... um I'm sure I'm going get in trouble with this, but we don't really test the batteries. We we replace them constantly, you know, for different sections because we just don't, we can't afford for them to go wrong. You know, we don't use, I, I have to admit in production, we don't use that many batteries anymore. So it's not as big of a deal. But when we do, we have new ones, they not rechargeable because the the rechargeable um, batteries, the, the voltage falls off really, really fast. And that becomes a problem for us um, because, but again, we don't, in the grand scheme of how much waste do we create, we don't create a lot of waste anymore because there's a lot of things we just don't use those for. Um, but in the areas that we do put replaceable batteries in, we just, we burn through them, um, pretty high-end ones. Um, and that's, you know, because it, we're just, we can't afford it to go wrong. Bill?
2: And don't forget the joys of a simple multimeter with a couple of probes. You can do continuity testing and determine the voltage of batteries and things like that. So I think probably everybody on the panel has one in a drawer somewhere around just in case you happen to have that circumstance when you need to look at the resistance of something or whether or not that nine volt battery is actually putting out 7.3 volts and is about to give up the ghost. And I'm trying to talk because i know alex is looking for something that he's gonna amaze us with and so i'm really just paddling in place dog paddling verbally no nope, bill bill it. you don't use a
1: nine volt battery
2: I for a, uh your tongue you can you can tongue test those yeah
0: that's <laughs> <perfectly> <laughs> <tested>. <laughs> yeah, nothing like tongue testing a nine volt yeah um yeah the uh um i i can't find it i i have a little usb um tester it's sitting somewhere i was just using it um but you can plug USB in, and it'll tell you what voltage. You know, it'll give you the data. And it's got—it's like it looks like a little star. And if you just do a USB tester, it looks like a little star with all these the connectors. And you can plug it in, and it'll give you data about what's what's actually happening there. Um, next question
1: from Harshid Trivedi in Daytona Beach, Florida, right here on our panel. To Jesse, which Sennheiser do you like using more? Jesse. Uh- I'm, I'm
4: assuming
6: you're talking microphones and in the studio we're using an MK4 for, for uh, the home studio when we get into the recording studio uh, we go that's not what we go to we go straight to the MD441U that's what we go to sorry about that nice
2: um, uh, go ahead Bill I was just going to say, I probably used seven different ones over the course of time. And in my early career as an announcer, we never picked our own microphone, we went into studios and we used whatever the engineer hung in front of me. I think I spent my first four years in radio in front of a, a Sennheiser MD 421U. And so when I went out on my own and started doing my own voiceover, you bought what you're, what you're used to. And I used that for many years. And then, um, as I kept going, it just I remembered that Sennheiser was one of the fine microphone manufacturers. Now that doesn't mean if somebody hung an AKG 414BULS in front of me or hung a Neumann in front of me, I would have any problem. You're still going to step up and do the job and let the engineer do the rest on the back. That was the early day. Now we've moved to home studio, so we all have to pay attention to all this stuff. But I, you know, I got paid for every voiceover, including the ones I did on sure SM58s in the tape room of the local TV
1: station. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking, oh, Chad LaFarge's 12 days of office hours, Christmas 1, answered yes to twelve, seven, six, four, and 1, no to the rest. What's yeses and nos? do you have? See beginning of the chat today. I, I don't know if I have them all in front of me. We'd have to probably think about that a little bit more. <laughs> next question. Harshid Trevetti in Daytona Beach, Florida is back. What conventions are we coming up to or coming up in Orlando, Florida? Rashid are there ones, are there specific ones that are coming up that you're paying a lot of attention
0: to?
7: Yesterday, sorry, I didn't raise my hand on this one. But uh, yesterday, uh, Guy and some of the other folks mentioned this during the pre-show that there's uh, stuff coming up next year. I don't know if it's Infocom or one of the others. And uh, they mentioned Orlando and uh, where to stay. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, The best way to, the way way I figure out when things are coming is like, you go right to the convention site. Usually the convention center will have a list of all the things that are scheduled in the convention center for the next year. And you can just figure out all the things that are there rather than trying to dig around and try to figure it out. We used to do this all the time with Moscone because then we would find out. the The main thing that we had to figure out is when they were doing the fancy food convention because the fancy food convention I don't know what it's like post COVID, but pre COVID, there's a lot of good food. Like you, you, so you figure out how to. So you had to then figure out when it was, and then you had to find out who you knew that was a restaurant. I, I, I went in as a sous chef, um, and uh, which <laughs> I'm not capable of being. And um, but I, I went in as a sous chef, and and um, uh, and then there's lots of things to taste, <laughs> you know. And and uh, um, and uh, anyway, it's it, it was good. Next question.
1: Stefan Fischer from Wurzburg, Germany is back for just lost a question. Um I'll just I pick this one, this one up. Harshid Trevetti, uh Daytona Beach asking to those audiobooks like Wall Street Journal or others or others, what is your understanding of these types of audiobooks? Do you gain similar knowledge from it? Yeah, I don't uh are you are you talking about magazines that
0: go audio audio wise, Harshid? Is that is that the question is yeah, go ahead,
7: Yeah. so uh, more so that, uh, it, so it gives you numbers and statistics and figures, right? So I'm more curious of, I understand audiobooks or audios a little bit differently because now my brain is attuned to this faster movement. And uh, when you are reading something like Wall Street Journal or some other fa- uh, magazines and such, how does that convert to you gaining the same knowledge as you would pick up a magazine or a book that had that same information?
0: I, I find that I think I think for me I find that I learn a lot more because I listen to so much more than I would ever read <laughs> like, you know so so I listen to uh you know I I, I I listen to lots and lots of articles I probably wouldn't read them if they were in magazines I, and that's you know for me I think that I find that to be the case like with with foreign foreign affairs is, is a good example of it I've been reading that on, on and off since I was like 12 so um, but I now read pretty much every every I listen to everyone that shows up in their audio feed. I I do try to open up their, their reading it on my phone is really painful. So I don't read any of the articles that they put out that aren't in audio format. Oh, go ahead, Bill.
2: Yeah. I'm a little sad because I do think that some of the things in my youth, I the one of the great pieces of advice I got from the first program director who helped me. He, I named Nat Stevens at KOY in Phoenix. He told me uh, just do a lot of, Uh, audio reading whenever you can. And so I was looking around and I, there was a service in Phoenix, uh, the talking book library and also sun sounds. And both of them did radio reading for people who are print impaired. And it was a fabulous, I I went in uh, three times a week for probably 15 years and got involved with all the people who did that kind of work. And one of the things that was most magical about it is they tried to do a complete, A survey of everything. They did the daily newspaper. They did magazines like Time and Newswork and things like that. They had shows on the grocery coupons. So you were facing a different kind of reading literally every time you went in. And that gave you a a broad look at helping an audience understand stuff. Uh, Also, uh, There was a radio reading service that did textbooks for college people, and boy, that was an amazing experience going in and describing geometry figures as you'd gotten a request from a a, a medium geometry book from a student who was going to go through college, and you wanted to help them do that. I'm. I'm. I know there are a lot of automated reading services that can turn text into speech, but I'm. I'm sad that this generation coming up who are going to be doing voice work don't get those kind of experiences like I had early in my career. It was just. It opened my brain up so much to learning how to describe things for other people. Yeah, I. I.
0: I think that the hard part is is that I'm getting. As, as I said earlier, I am getting. To the point where i prefer a computer to read it to me than a human because i can read it faster i can pull it in faster and and i and i think that my frustration is also that a good example is again to go back to foreign affairs or the economist the economist does all the articles in in audio but foreign affairs picks and chooses and is really late and everything else and as a user i really want them just to put all of them on <laughs> like when, when they release the when they release the the magazine i just want all the if they want to go back and re and read them with a person later, that's fine. But I really want it in real time, and I feel like I'm not getting that. Um, and uh, and at the same time, again, I can process it better than you know at speed. And so, but I do. I think that AI is going to be a real challenge because there's a lot of like we were talking about it. Well. Like it writes computer code, but the computer code isn't perfect. You need to be an advanced coder. And the question we had is how do you become an advanced coder if nobody, if if it's doing all the basic code? (laughs) If it does all the basic coding and you're just correcting it, at some point you're going to age out everybody that actually knows how to code. And then you have to depend on the machine to do it all. And then we end up with, you know, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. um, Eventually it'll become self-aware. Next question. Stefan Fischer from Würzburg, Germany, asking, For the next step in Office Hours broadcast studio lighting, do you recommend a one-by-one flat LED over a point source with a big diffuser or the other way around? Good Mitchell. Well, the general rule of thumb would be um, a, a sufficient uh, light source into a large diffuser. Um, I have a Chimera here, but the problem is in my studio, I don't want this giant Chimera hanging over my uh, desk here. So I've gone with a one-by-one from uh, light panels. It's a uh, Astra Soft. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this close, at this distance, it seems to work okay for me. Yeah, go ahead, Mitchell. Oh, I thought it,
2: Mitchell. I'm, um, right. I'm sorry, Phil. Sorry. Yeah. Um, you know, it just depends on the circumstance. And it also depends on you. Those of us who have been around for many, many years are a little sensitive to the fact that our faces are getting more wrinkly and they have blemishes and things like that that we didn't have when we were fresh-faced young kids. So um, larger light sources tend to be more flattering for aged skin. And that's just because the angle of incidence on a big uh, softbox you know the the rays of light the photons hit your face from many angles, and that diminishes the look of wrinkles and things like that uh point sources though can be just as good depending on how old and and how the kind of look you're going for uh but yeah, those are generally good worlds. The bigger the light, the better uh as if you have more problems you need to work around
0: yeah i have uh uh the the one that I'm under right now is a now this is five feet wide, or like it's almost uh, almost two meters, <laughs> and one meter, uh, deep, and then there are three, um, B sixty eight sixty eight Bs from Nanlite behind it that are that are kind of so it's one big soft light. Uh, if you can get big soft lights, they're really gonna they're they're gonna they're great. Um, it's just a matter of whether you can put them in your office. My my office is a single use office. It's all all I use is r- what we're doing here. Uh, go ahead, Mitchell.
1: If I had a nationally syndicated show like MacBreak Weekly, I probably would put the big one up there. But I'm just on the small one. You're on an internationally syndicated show called Office Hours. You could, you know, I'm just I'm just telling you. Uh, Next question. Next question. Paul Terry Wallace in Austin, Texas, asking Guy Cochran is in Southern Cal and Bill's neck of the woods. Any tips of surfing? Yeah, go go. You do not want surfing tips from me. Yeah. That would be deadly dangerous. Uh, it's always good to
2: have Guy here. And we managed last time to get together for lunch. And I'm looking forward to trying to do the same thing here. You know, it's just so nice to have this global community of people that we've gotten to know. And so when you find yourself in a different city or somebody comes to visit in your city, uh, to be able to sit across the table and actually spend an hour with somebody is just a true joy. And it's one of the best offshoots of this thing that Alex started. So thank you, Alex.
6: Next
1: question. Next question, possibly our last one for Ronnie Hofse and Tromso, Norway. Bird Dog just released OG4 Open Gear NDI card. How many users open gear racks in their daily use? Uh, uh, we've used
0: them a lot in the past. I mean, Open Gear is really great because you can have one rack, and you have lots of different things that it's doing um, and, you, and you don't have to worry about, you know, a lot of the power and a lot of other bits and pieces there. And so the Open Rack has been um, pretty effective for some of the stuff that we've done. And so um, I don't have, I don't think we have any in the pipeline right now, but in the past, we've definitely heavily used Open Racks because we can put a lot of converters in and, and so on and so forth. So it's been, it's been very effective. All right. Well, we, 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 uh, two hours of Q and A, we, and we started getting relatively close to our record. We didn't quite make it. Um, 67 being the record of number of questions. Not that we're trying to, not we're trying to get that record, but I always find it funny when we start getting close. Um, anyway, so a lot of great questions today. Thanks so much uh, for uh, passing them in to us today. And, um, and, um, it's, uh, uh, it's great to have the, the, the bank be, be kind of back to the normal <laughs> of what we're doing here. Uh, so, um, so we, we had a great show yesterday and now we're back into it. We're in number one of our next 1000. So, and, and by the way, just great, great work for everybody on the, on the other end that put all that work into yesterday. Was, I know that was a, that was a big lift. Uh, and, um, but thanks to the, thanks to the producers for yesterday and today. Thanks to the panelists, of course. Can't do this without you. It's good to have all of you here. Um, And thanks to the great team on the back end, putting this all together every single day. The little village that wakes up every morning or afternoon or evening and kind of comes together and and, uh, makes the donuts. (laughs) If you're not from the East Coast, you won't know what I just said, but anyway, it's okay. Uh, Anyway, um, we'll talk to you uh, in after hours. Time to make. Dunkin' Donuts. Of course, it was an ad from 1980. Um, the Tlaloc Traversal, 116,000 miles, 187,000 kilometers, one billion bananas. We served, we, we covered a billion bananas for scale. A One billion.
5: One billion.